welcome to a very special bonus episode of Into the Aether. It's a low-key video game podcast, and my name is Brendan Bigley. I'm Stephen Hilger, and we want to open this very special bonus episode for the month of July by giving a special thank you to all our patrons. Uh, you know who you are. You're in the show notes. You're the reason these bonus episodes are possible. So thank you very much. I do miss, I think longtime fans will be like, I listen to the show when they've read every patron's name. That will be like, <laughs> if you've been around for a while, you know what I mean? That'll be the, that'll be the fandom gatekeepy aspect is like, I remember <laughs> needing to wait for 45 minutes before they actually started talking about a video game. I think it um, came from a good place. I enjoyed reading that list. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? I, I, it was, it was nice. It was a nice thing. And, and I don't want us not not reading the list to come off as us being any less grateful. It, we, we literally stopped doing it because those of you in the list asked us to stop doing it so we yeah. would talk about video games instead. Also, I, always, we'll open the episode by saying this, so I usually say at the end of the episode, but please share any feedback you have about the Patreon. Uh, it's still very much a new thing. We've only had it now for a little under a year. I think we started it, we started doing bonus episodes last September with Fire Emblem. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, it will be in a couple months, a year of doing bonuses. So we we are committed to the idea that there will never be content that is paywalled, but we're not against doing more for the patrons, if that makes sense, you know, in some right. way. I think we'll we'll touch more on that in, in the coming months. But uh please share any thoughts and and uh critiques with us. We're we're more than open to hear it, and it leads the show to be a better thing. I.e. uh no forty five minutes of just names. So uh but yeah, it was definitely from a good place and I enjoyed the meter of it. I loved it. And love hearing the names of generous people. Yeah, it's very nice. Uh and and as we always mention with the Patreon, uh which you can find at patreon.com slash into the cast or go to into the cast online. Um backing the Patreon just allows us to do more stuff. Uh we were just talking right before we started recording about how Steven needs an arm for his podcast mic that is a thing that i think will probably end up happening soon my headphones just broke so that might also end up happening soon but also it allows us to bring on incredible guests like today's guest the ceo of the pokemon company that this is not a good bit do you want to talk about pokemon crystal (laughs) i do (laughs) uh we had just recently recorded uh this past week's episode shortly before uh recording this one And, and the whole time i think we were uh, more excited than we've ever been because this this game for this month's bonus episode that's right you guessed the Pokemon Crystal is something we are so excited to talk about I don't know what it is I don't know if it's our full moon <laughs> to our inner were- werewolf or what yeah but as you have pointed out, whenever we talk about Pokemon, things just get like wild. It just like, yeah, uh, uh, even more than usual, we just kind of become <laughs> heightened version of ourselves. We evolve truly. And you had a great idea because, you know, our last bonus episode was about The Last of Us Part Two, and we were really deciding what this one was going to be about. Uh, we hadn't done a retro game in a while, and we hadn't done like, here's a game we really love from the past in a while. Uh, and this has felt perfect. It felt like the perfect, like, yeah change up in a good way and and uh, uh brendan and i have both put in time playing crystal i've been playing it on the 3ds uh, you've been playing it both on your computer and on the 3ds correct yes yeah we we did a little bit uh during last week's episode about the 3ds and and how um i started playing it on an emulator and i was streaming it and that is actually a thing i want to get back to and, and i'll probably Please. be streaming um maybe not more crystal but i i am starting to think that i do want to stream a pokemon game which i'll get into at some point eventually but uh, i was playing it on an emulator which 
which was like fun. And the communal experience of streaming it was really fun, too. But you kept talking about playing it on your 3DS and you were sending me pictures of your 3DS because you can't take screenshots and share them very easily on the 3DS. You were sending me pictures of your 3DS that you were taking with your phone to show off your team. And I was like, I want that experience, actually. That sounds way better. Uh, yeah. Something about taking this game and playing it handheld was like really great. I also went to my parents' house and found my physical copy of Crystal, which, of mm. course, doesn't work because the the battery in it died. And I like I could have opened it up and fixed it because it's very easy and very well documented about how to fix that uh, watch battery that's in there. But um, I already had it on 3DS, so why not just play that? So that's actually what I did. I brought it with me. Uh, I was on vacation for a bit, a kind of vacation, a weird vacation, as we called it. Uh, I was on yeah. a weird vacation for a bit and uh, and got to play it a little bit there and played it at the beach and brought it back. And uh, it's been really nice. It's been a really great game uh, to like hang out and play. I had a night uh, about a week or two ago where I just was like so drained from work and like exercise and all the stuff that I had done that day. Um, and I spent the evening just lying in bed. I, I have a TV in my bedroom that I almost never use. And I turned it on and I put on a Pixar movie and just played Pokemon Crystal in bed. And it was like the most calming night I've had since quarantine started. It was like just it was perfect. It was like reading a book next to a fire, like a nice f- roaring fireplace in the winter. Like that was the vibe. I, I was so thrilled. It's great. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, I, I, uh, I believe you and I have often gone on record saying to specifically that Gen 2 is our favorite, which yes. uh, for those who aren't familiar, Crystal is sort of like the Persona 5 Royale to Gold and Silver, which are the, uh, you know, the, the standalone Generation 2 games. Yeah. So the way it progressed was obviously, well, actually, if you want to go way back, the original games in Japan were uh, green and red version. And by the time it got to the US, it was blue and red. And blue was basically like a kind of patched up version of green with some mm-hmm. extra stuff. Yeah. And then uh, like a year later, we got yellow version, uh, which was again kind of like a little bit of a patched up red and blue they fixed a lot of the bugs they they cleaned up a lot of the sprites it just looked better and it, it was that game specifically was made to be more in line with the show so like you had pikachu as a starter and they kind of had this tam- tamagotchi aspect to their like mood all that aside that the generation one with with red blue and yellow started this tradition that pokemon followed to a t for a while of every generation having two games that were like the main games and then like a year or two later there would be like sort of an upgraded version of that yeah until they realized they could uh also charge double for the upgraded version when they did uh ultra sun and moon which was the first time they were like what if the third version was also two games uh, yeah. which was real brutal but um yeah the interesting thing I didn't I didn't know this I did a bunch I mean you and I I think both did a bunch of research before we wanted to talk about this game um, or before talking about the game today specifically uh, I didn't realize this but this game well this generation of games gold and silver specifically were in development before Pokemon red and blue even made it to the United States which is mm. wild um, this game not only was in development but had been like shown in magazines and on TV and in press tours and stuff like th- this was like displayed at like uh, game events you know there there wasn't like a like an like an E3 kind of thing at that point yet but like th- uh, th- that generation the second generation was already being like displayed like hey check this out this is the future of, of this franchise while 
red and blue are in development to be released in, in the US, uh, which is which is kind of interesting. Like the, this game seems like an answer to a lot of the criticism of red and blue, but in fact was literally just like, I think them having more time to develop a game and more resources and them just kind of like really taking everything they wanted to accomplish with that first generation of games and like really bring it to fruition and like making the product that I think they wish the the first generation was uh, totally which is great it's really fascinating because like you know on paper they aren't that far apart year wise like red and blue came out on game boy in like 97 or 98 yeah and silver and gold came out in 2000 i believe Mm -hmm. and i believe silver and gold could be played at on the original game boy but crystal was a game boy color exclusive it was yeah and that was a specific era of Game Boy games. And even in that short time, if, if you look at the games that were Game Boy Color exclusive, they are on a whole other level of hardware than original Game Boy was. Yeah. Like, original Game Boy was, was great, but it was definitely a limited system in terms of what it could accomplish. It was very much a sub NES in terms of like, what can the graphics be and what kind of game can you have here? So the fact that like a game as big as Pokemon Red and Blue could even run on Game Boy is kind of a miracle. But that was like, you know, that that game was pushing Game Boy to the to the limit of, of its hardware, basically. Uh, and like you said, I think it was limited to the point where they made two games because of the limitations. The reason there were two games is because they couldn't fit it all on one cartridge. Yeah, I'm sure that there was a business opportunity somewhere along that limitation. But like, you know, Red and Blue uh, was definitely halted by the hardware, whereas Silver and Gold and even more so crystal which is sort of the yellow version of this generation uh, and we'll get into like what differences crystal has not much but you know we figured if we're going to revisit gen 2 you might as well do crystal crystal is utilizing everything the game boy color has to its advantage so it's not and like then some like it, yeah not yeah. only that but it it expands upon that or upon that technology in a way that uh, i think is wild that uh, maybe i'll just get into it now there, there's a there's one feature in particular that like blows my mind that this exists um, there was a, a link cable that they made. So there was a, always the link cable to connect one Game Boy to another, right? That would allow you to trade Pokemon and things like that. Um, that apparently goes back to two of the developers of the original games uh, loving Dragon Quest and wishing they could trade items because mm. de- depending on which uh, which like weapons and armor routes you went down, because there were like trees for those different things, uh, you would need different kinds of items to be able to upgrade that stuff. Uh, so it was two of the developers of the original Pokemon games wishing they could trade items and saying like, oh, wouldn't that be cool if we made a whole game kind of based around that idea so anyway that you had a link able to connect game boy to game boy but they also did a thing for like a year where they made a second link cable that you could buy and you could connect it to your cell phone and then what that would do was it would it would uh, go online and then connect to like the nintendo servers that would allow you to do like events which uh we ended up getting in the u.s as like bring your game boy to a toys r us and then like plug your link cable into like a special game boy at a toys r us and then you'd get stuff in in japan it was literally plug your Game Boy into a phone and then go online and download Celebi, which was how you got Celebi in Pokemon Crystal oh, wow. uh, in the original release. And it only worked for like a year and then they had to disable that service. But the fact that this generation was the first one that allowed you to go online in any capacity is like amazing. Because when is the next time we see that again? I don't even know. Uh, the DS games, probably Diamond and Pearl. Uh, y- yes. And that's the thing. And I, we'll get more into like the series as a whole. 
But it is it is like it is really fascinating to go back to this game and and think about like how it is utilizing the hardware because this is really the last time this has happened. Like <laughs> I, we, you and I love this whole series. Like yeah, there are one or two that were like kind of lukewarm on, but like as a whole, every game is great. We both really love Sword and Shield. Um, we even both really loved Let's Go P- uh, Pikachu and Eevee. Like we find a lot of merit in the new ones, but like th- this puts them all to shame as far as I'm concerned in terms of how it is utilizing the hardware to its advantage like and i think since this generation pokemon has kind of settled for being purposely retro in a way that has held the series back uh you know i think we're starting to see like little little blips on the radar of like really thinking outside the box i think the wild area and certain shield is one of the biggest steps the series has taken and like while it kind of feels like you're playing like Neverwinter with like people blipping in and out of existence and like the connection being strange, like <laughs> yeah. conceptually and, and on a single player level, it is an incredible addition to the series. Yeah. Um, and adding raids and things like that. Like there, there's a lot. Yeah. They're, they're not only experimenting with like what Pokemon can and probably will be. I mean, you and I talked a lot about how the wild area is like a blueprint for what a future Pokemon game could be in its entirety, but also yeah. the addition of raids and like uh gigantic maxing Pokemon out in the wild and stuff like that is, it's definitely really compelling and really interesting. And, and as a first pass, I think is cool, but feels like the Assassin's Creed one to the eventual Assassin's Creed two in a way. Yeah. I mean, I'm just thinking like, and, and we're going to get into our sort of like subjective experiences with this generation, with the series. But while we're on the topic of hardware, I, th- I think I'll bring up like, you know, Red and Blue, great games, started this whole thing, deserve a lot of credit. And and the jump to, to Silver and Gold, the additions you have, uh, for those unfamiliar and for those who maybe need a reminder, they added uh, a night and day cycle. So depending on what time of day, you set the clock in the game, you know, it, it literally emulates the time of day when you're playing it to the point where on uh, if you're playing on a Game Boy with color, which I am with 3DS, I was playing it early this morning and, and there was like an orange or like yellow hue to everything yeah. where it looked like early morning uh, when you're playing at night. Obviously, it's it's nighttime. Uh, there's such attention to detail with the palette of the game and again really utilizing the new color uh in game boy color the the internal clock with like what time of day it is in the game not only aesthetically but what pokemon are showing up and this is sense to emulate like life going on around you which i think we'll get into even more as we talk about the game because like there are trainers you meet that will remain in contact with you via phone which we'll definitely talk about uh (laughs) But, like, they have their own schedules and they might call you at certain times. And, like, there's this sort of almost attempt at an Animal Crossing-esque world that, like, exists around you in real time. This is exactly what I was going to say. Yes. Yeah. That is unthinkable to imagine while you're playing Red and Blue and, like... Probably wasn't even on the minds of people who like wanted a sequel but didn't know what it would look like. I don't so even think it was, it was in the minds of people making games for Game Boy Color at that point. Like this right. was <laughs> right. This was this was literally like, oh, we have the money and resources to be able to build a cartridge that has a watch a watch battery inside of it so we can keep track of time and, and, and change like that. That is unthinkable. That is like a wild choice. And and just to add on to some of the other stuff that happens, like there are certain radio programs playing at certain times of day in, in the game. There are certain events that only happen on certain days of the week and at certain times during certain days of the week. Like, a, as you said, the world really is existing around you. And I think that is as, as we'll get into, I, we always say this like, Oh, we'll get into this later. And yeah. we really, need to with this thing in particular but like 
that to me is the thesis of this game is that everything else is happening around you. You're just a piece of this larger world. And I, th- I think that that is like thrilling and, and they, you know, talk about judging games by their intention. Like you couldn't have nailed it any more than they did totally. with this game, uh, with this generation and, in particular. And I have to say as much as I love the newer entries, they really lost that. Like they really lost the sense of like, I mean, even with the wild area, it's, it's irrationally night or day. It's like you're in a, <laughs> yeah. you've destroyed time as a concept and it's just sort of like floating like you know it's not that i needed to be tied to in-game clock but like there was an intentionality behind it right there was like a there's a reason for that and and it permeated every other decision that they made throughout the game in a way that it doesn't anymore yeah plus i mean with with more less less hardware stuff like the things they've added in the game i mean actually one last hardware thing the game boy color specifically had this kind of like qr scanner on the on the edge of it like on the top and it was, when, like an, uh, the, it was like an IR blaster, right? Yeah. And you could, uh, for Mystery Gift, which was like another feature they added, if you were near another Game Boy, you could put your Game Boys together without a link cable and you would each just get a random gift. Yeah. And you could do that once a day. So, like, there's a lot of stuff, you know, between that and the link cables where they're encouraging you to, like, they're tying the game closer and closer to, like, sort of like a immersive experience. Yeah. Which, honestly, I guess we haven't really seen since, like, Pokemon Go. I was just about to like, say, I mean, yeah, yeah, a lot of the decisions made in this generation in particular ripple out into creating a Pokemon Go-esque experience, right? Like, yeah. Red and Blue definitely did a lot for that uh, by way of having the link cable and, like, having two different versions and, like, forcing people to interact with one another to be able to complete the Pokedex. But that said, like, where they take that idea in, in the second generation is, like, on a completely different level. And also worth noting, just in terms of, like, these games being in development before Red and Blue even made it to the West, like, these games were in development before Pokemon Fever, as it was eventually called, like pretty much everywhere in the 90s, was even a thing. Like this was a game that was created outside of the pressure of Pokemon being one of the largest IP in the world. And I honestly think it shows like I honestly think that a lot of what this game is trying to accomplish via narrative is also kind of relieved by not having that pressure. Like as soon as you hit, I agree. as soon as you hit Gen 3, with Ruby and Sapphire, like that's a game where the fact that it is Pokemon and it's a fucking big deal that a Pokemon game is coming out, like becomes a factor in what it is. And you can see that via the narrative being uh, a, a a cataclysmic world ending scenario that you an 11 year old boy or girl from some random fucking town need to solve by yourself. You know, like, yeah, this game is doing something completely different. And I um, maybe now we can get into just like our, our relationship with this generation uh, yeah. as a whole. But like for me, this is a game I have played probably more than any other game. Uh, this generation of Pokemon games like I have played Pokemon Silver more times than I can count. If I like, honestly, I don't even know. I played it when it came out and then eventually went on to like replay it multiple times. Uh, when Heart Gold and Soul Silver came out, I played uh, Soul Silver a bunch. And and on top of that. There was this like era in the 90s and early 2000s where pretty much everyone was taking Doom, like the shareware version of Doom and installing it on every computer in like a school's like computer system. So like it would just show up in like the central database of every computer in a school and you could like play Doom. I was that kid, but with Pokemon Silver. <laughs> I installed Pokemon Silver on like every computer oh in, my God, in our high yes. school um, so I could play it. So I could play it everywhere. And I, I sure did. I played through Pokemon Crystal a lot in high school, <laughs> weirdly enough, like on the computers in our science labs and stuff like that. 
like through the whole game. I remember I remember chemistry in I think sophomore year of high school. I played through the entirety of Pokemon Silver. It was the first time I'd ever been able to like finish the entire game during a class, which is awful. Like uh, like truly like not a good thing to do. <laughs> I should have been studying and focusing and stuff like that. But instead, I played Pokemon <laughs> Silver. All of that to say is like I've played these games a lot. I I love this generation. It has forever been my favorite variant of all of them. Um, I yeah. have, I've played every generation of Pokemon games and, and the second generation is always the one that I've gone back to for reasons that I couldn't explain because I wasn't thinking about video games then the way I am now. But I just knew deep down that there was something about these games that was different and this is the one that I wanted to revisit always. And and weirdly, amidst all of that, I didn't play Pokemon Crystal. Like, I had a copy of it, but I didn't play it and instead I would opt to go back and play Pokemon Silver again. Mm. I don't know why. I could never really explain that. There's There's no real rhyme or reason for it um but that's why i wanted to play it for this episode specifically was like it's the same generation it's the thing i love uh and and for all intents and purposes it's apparently better for a lot of reasons and i probably should check it out but yeah i i hadn't really played it until now but but silver and gold specifically just like really 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 stuck out to me even growing up even not thinking about games in like a through a critical lens or an analytical lens even were always the ones that stood out to me um and now replaying them boy do i understand why i went back to them um yeah yeah me too but anyway uh, you yeah, know, i yeah. went on and played all the other ones and they were great but th- this is the good one all right your turn <laughs> i didn't mean to rush you <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I just want to say real quick, too, that the uh, additions of Crystal overall, it's not really much. It's the same game as Silver and Gold, except for the fact that exclusively for Game Boy Color. So I imagine they utilize color in a, in a bigger way. I don't remember Silver and Gold having this attention to detail with the time of day lighting. So maybe that's new. The big addition was you could, for the first time in the series, you could change uh, what gender or character you're playing as. Mm-hmm. And uh, you could also, uh, they added Celebi. Um, so those are the two big ones. I think they also tweaked some things. They made like some of the trainers you can get their phone numbers like uh, have more of a purpose. I think. Yeah. They, well, but, they have um, more personality. Overall, Initially, there was like a bank of of voice lines that all the trainers would like pull from. Um, and in Crystal, they all had like specific personalities tied to them, um, mm. which which kind of differentiated because you would get a phone call and like everyone was Youngster Joey, not just Youngster Joey. <laughs> uh, and in this case, only Youngster Joey is Youngster Joey. But yeah. they also added uh, animations, which I think is kind of the biggest one. Yes, that's what I was forgetting. Yeah. Um, which yeah. Again, did not show up again until Black and White in 2011. Yeah. It took 12 years for them to think animations were a good idea again. (laughs) Uh, Now, given this is like they pop out of the Pokeball and they do a little dance and then they're still. Yeah. In in Black and White, they were like. It's three frames of animation. You know, it's like three sprites they made. Like there's almost none, but it does a lot to add to the, I think, the longevity of this game when you go back and revisit it. Like it really does make it still feel weirdly fresh to see those sprites that you have so burned into your memory moving at all is like shocking yeah i also remember like the sprites in red and blue were like always weirdly squished and apparently someone correct me if i'm wrong but apparently the the pokemon were designed in sprite first and then the lead artist would draw what he interpreted that as so they Uh, were made in game first and then we got the art of them which i think has helped informed 
their sprite design later on because like you look at Geodude in red and blue and you're like, what did I just step in? Like, what is this? <laughs> and then you see him, you know, as this like rock dude later on. Yeah. Anyway, my experience with the series, good Lord. So you're two years younger than me, uh, but you know, we're around the same generation. But I, I bring that up because I was seven when <laughs> Because when you're wiser and you hate these games. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was seven uh, when Pokemon Red and Blue came out. I was the like m- marketing team's like locked on demographic for Red and Blue with with the show and the cards and the game. I remember so distinctly third grade was like, I can't remember anything I learned, maybe long division. But I do remember <laughs> that that whole year was like Pokemon took over. Yes. Uh, and I and I was one of the first people to get it. Probably not a big surprise for anyone who listens to this show. <laughs> but I was one of the first people to get the game and one of the first people to get the cards. I liked the cards and I liked the show, but mostly because I loved the game. Uh, I, 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 anything that reminded me of the game's world, I, I sought after. Mm. And I found, you know, at this, around the same time I was getting more into RPGs, that was around the same time. Like, I mean, it wasn't too long after that, that FF7 came out that, I mean, FF7 was maybe two years later, but, you know, it was in this kind of awakening period of like FF7, Ocarina of Time, Pokemon. And, and even though they're very different games, I, I, all of them to me at that young age kind of brought me into this new world and and i think even red and blue you know uh Though I think it has a little bit more of an A plot than Silver and Gold do, which we'll get to. I just found it to be such a magical experience at that age. I was obsessed. I loved it. I played it all the time. Yeah, same thing. And I remember this very, uh, this is so bizarre, revisiting like middle school memories. But I remember distinctly our school, uh, elementary school ended at third grade. And middle school was fourth to eighth grade. It's a true nightmare. Well, I don't know why they did that, but that's what it was. Yeah, it was really Um, strange. (laughs) Yeah. So I remember going into fourth grade and I guess the societal, you know, social pressure of like being around older kids. A lot of people in my class were afraid of seeing being seen as uh, as juvenile or like uh, as as kid like. Mm -hmm. So the the Pokemania went away immediately it, it, it was nowhere to be found and i was kind of heartbroken because i was like i still love this thing yeah i don't care if it's not cool i'm gonna keep doing it and, and i and i and i still to this day like a lot of people our age you either stopped at red and blue or you kept going those that's the major yeah. millennial divide as far as i'm concerned for real um, yeah and and it shows i'm kidding but uh, <laughs> you know it, it's sort of <laughs> i i remember uh silver came out i guess like in fourth or fifth grade for me. And I remember getting it and I was blown away. I was, by all the reasons we brought up earlier, I was like, oh my God, like this is, this is, uh, it kind of almost goes into what we were saying about FF7 remake in the original where like your mind is filling in the gaps in a lot of Pokemon Red. And even a couple years later, Silver was like hitting those things in new ways yeah. where like the idea, the, the immersion of you being out in the environment and like catching these monsters and knowing what time of day to go. Something that I also, you know, uh, now separated from my younger self, like the things they've added in that game that immediately made it better. Uh, I mean, Red and Blue is a really buggy game. It's like a real, e- even outside of knowing the Masigno trick, which anyone our age did. Like it is, it is full of bugs, and and I'm sure there are a lot of bugs in Silver and Gold too. But it just felt much tighter. It felt like a better made game, and they did a lot of things in game that that made it a much more balanced and worthwhile single player experience. Um, 
it doesn't take much to see in red and blue that psychic type is just like so broken and like even if you're not playing on like a competitive level or anything like you can tell that talk about the intention like the intention of red and blue was actually to just collect but they added the rpg combat later because it made sense to kind of fill in a blank there and to make it more of like a game quote unquote but you can tell that they really thought about how the battling works in silver and gold in a much deeper way so one thing they did was they added two new types that kind of helped balance everything. They added dark and steel types. So you got your favorites like Umbreon and Steelix, okay? Uh, and then they also split the special stat, which like this shows you uh, uh, how deep into this I am. But uh, in red and blue, it was, and I, I'm sure I mentioned this before, and I'm, I guarantee no one gives a shit, but it's worth pointing out. In red and blue, there was attack, defense, speed, and special. And what special did was it was simultaneously special attack and special defense. So a Pokemon, let's say like Alakazam, with a really high special stat would be simultaneously a sweeper and a tank because that was their biggest stat. Right. In silver and gold, they split special into special attack and special defense. So someone like Alakazam would have really high special attack but be lower special defense or vice versa. Like Umbreon having one of the highest special defense stats in the game, okay? Anyway, uh, I just Venmo to you my lunch money and I'm going to keep talking. And, and not not only all that stuff, but they also added, you know, the day and night cycles, like we said, they added breeding. So now you could, oh, yeah. uh, you know, you could kind of um, raise Pokemon. I have to say though, it is so funny. <laughs> I don't know what it takes to become a professor in the Pokemon <laughs> world, but Professor Elm is blown away way that pokemon are born he's like i found this egg and i don't know what it means can you hold it yeah. for like a few months well it's great he's a pokemon <laughs> professor who doesn't know anything about this but also yeah. later in the game you go to the daycare center where there are eggs popping up left and right like it's not a it's not a new currency these two old people that run this daycare have to have known that eggs existed for a long time but those daycare workers, they know the eggs are there, but they act suspiciously uh, aloof. They're like, I don't know where the egg came from. Like, <laughs> it's like, come on. Yeah. I left two Mr. Mimes here, and now there's a Mime Junior. I think I can fill in the blanks of what happened. I do think it's worth touching on uh, breeding and eggs uh, in, in particular, because I think one of the big complaints that I think a lot of people have about like the trajectory of the Pokemon franchise is that every game needs to have a gimmick, quote unquote. Like, that's like, yeah. oh, man, why does every game need to have a gimmick? Like, just give me a classic Pokemon adventure, like XYZ. Like, I just I just want I just want like a classic Pokemon experience again. And like that has been the case forever. Breeding and eggs were the new gimmick in this game. And just like every game after it, it's a huge plot point that that is the gimmick. You know, like it's very important to this game that there is breeding and eggs. It's just that it's worked and woven into the narrative in a way that like feels natural and doesn't feel like it's, it's overwhelming. Unlike Gigantamaxing or like Z moves or something do eventually later, you know? Um, And that's not to say that those features are bad. It's just, they weren't implemented with the level of care. I feel personally that that breeding was in, in gen two. I think too what Gen Two does is that everything that's new to the player is 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 shown in the story as a new discovery, which like is silly when it's like, wow, Pokemon reproduce, but like, yeah, <laughs> you know, uh, 
a Pidgey doesn't bring them in a basket with pillows? Okay. That would be Yeah, great. so they also added, uh, going back into the real-time mechanic, they added trees that grew berries, and they also added this idea that Pokemon can hold items. So they can hold berries or they can eat the berry if they're, like, at low health or have a status effect. Yeah. And you can also give them items that might evolve them or also might power up certain attacks in battle. Or prevent like, them from evolving. Or prevent them from evolving. There has not been a Pokemon since this that has added that many mechanics that have become foundational. Yeah. You know, like the gimmicks in the other games. Uh, I mean, they added um, in in uh, the third generation, that's when they added the personality types and weather. And that has stayed, but like not as as redefining as all the stuff in this game. Yeah. You know, yeah. like... It really is astonishing. So I I loved Silver kind of almost the opposite. It was a very solitary experience because like not many of my friends were playing anymore, but I, I just thought it was incredible. And then tragically, uh, a common issue in Silver cartridge, cartridges was that my battery died. The, the battery in the game prevented me from being able to save the game. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, eventually I, I wasn't able to replay it with the same tenacity that I would revisit red and blue because, or I had red rather just red. I wouldn't be able to get that far without, you know, eventually having to turn the game off and having to start over. So that was kind of tragic with that. I didn't pick up Ruby Sapphire right away for whatever reason. And then I got diamond and pearl and I put a shit ton of time into diamond and pearl and like the end game. That's when I started to get like, for some reason it became kind of cool again and like an edgy way to be into Pokemon in high school. It sure did. And a lot of my friends were like playing their DS in classes. And like, uh, that's when I learned what EV training was for better or for worse. So like I was interested in like the, what had changed and, and the big change in, um, Diamond and Pearl, which I would go on record saying that's the weakest single player experience that really did not add anything new at all. But the big thing that that game changed was prior to fourth gen. Uh, and this is literally as exciting as it sounds. So I'm saying this <laughs> knowing it's not exciting. Uh, prior to fourth gen, every elemental attack was either entirely physical or special. So all rock attacks or normal attacks were physical, all water attacks Psychic attacks or special attacks, kind of like that. Fourth gen was the first generation that every single move was reevaluated to be physical or special independent of element. And that's the only thing that Diamond and Pearl added. So, like, if you're just picking the game up like a normal person just wanting to have a fun time, you will sense zero new additions from Diamond and Pearl. Uh, and have a very okay time. Um, that to me, I know that, though, that, that, at the time was yeah. like a this is a back to basics Pokemon game. Like they they that was the first time that they were like we're going to introduce a shitload of new Pokemon, like a completely new suite of a hundred to hundred fifty or something like that. And and uh, you won't even be able to see the Pokemon from the previous three generations until you finish the game. Uh, was when they added the the national decks. Um, and that is why that is actually the game that I uh got all the Pokemon in. I played that game yeah. to fill up the entire national decks and caught all 400 500 pokemon that existed at that point which at the time because it was on the ds which had a game boy advance cartridge slot on the bottom meant that you had to play through the previous three generations and trade all your pokemon up through those generations into diamond and pearl to be able to do that um which was i think like the third time i had replayed pokemon silver was specifically to get all the Pokemon there, uh, which was a yeah. wild experience. It was I and a couple friends who who were all doing that together simultaneously so we could all finish the Pokedex, which was a weird experience. And as I've said on this podcast many times, something I will never do again because it took way <laughs> too long. And I was a freshman in and high like, school and I probably should have been doing other things. Same. 
But Diamond and Pearl, I, I have like a complicated relationship with because I do think it's still a, a really fun game. And I but I enjoyed playing it because it was Pokemon uh, more than because it was doing anything new. And at that point, that was on the DS. There was no excuse for that game to not have a little bit more, uh, you know, a little be a little bit more extra than a back to basics. Pokemon yeah, a lot. Game. A lot of the uh, focus of that game in terms of differentiation was adding the online functionality because the DS could connect to the yeah. Internet. And a lot of it was like. I don't even think Wonder Trading was in that one. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, dear no, listener. But that was added in X and Y. Yeah, I, there was some stuff by way of... I think it was the GTS, the global trading system and stuff like that. Like, there there were... Oh, yeah. There was online functionality in that game, and that was kind of, like, the big exciting thing. But outside of that, it was, like, a pretty paint-by-numbers Pokemon game, uh, which a lot of people yeah. feel similarly to you, I think. I The only reason I have such, like, a, a strong fondness for that generation is because that's the one I finished the Pokedex in. That's kind yeah, of it. Yeah, and also... So full circle, the, the uh, that's when they started to do. Actually, it was third gen started the tradition of remaking older generations. So I actually picked up uh, Fire Red, which was basically Pokemon Blue, Red and Blue in the engine of Ruby Sapphire, which is awesome. That's one of the best. I love Fire Red. Yeah, really like, incredible. If you haven't played Red and Blue, that's probably the best way to experience it. Because like, yeah. I think red and blue at this point, if you're new and like an adult is like a little bit archaic, but if you want to experience that world, I would say play Let's Go or Fire Red. Yeah. Uh, depending on what kind of experience you want. And in fourth gen, they remade uh, silver and gold as heart gold and soul silver, which is the same idea as silver and gold in the fourth gen. That being said, now that we're talking about crystal, I don't think second gen feels archaic at all. Truly. Like, I think there's, there's, there's sort of like some things where you might have to look up, like, who do I talk to to get this HM? Like, they just totally don't broadcast that. Yeah. But I'll get into why that doesn't bump against me and why I think, like, you know, a remake of Red and Blue was more desired than maybe a remake of Silver and Gold. That being said, Heart Gold, Soul Silver, great games. And they added a lot of cool stuff, like every Pokemon being able to follow you and taking pictures with them. Amazing. Yeah. Beautiful addition. Yeah. That's that's the kind of thing that people have been clamoring for since that happened. Like, that, that yeah. should have been another <laughs> foundational element to the rest of the franchise. I also hope you don't mind me going through the newer ones so we can just sort of share our experience of that before we go back. No, no, no. I don't, I don't mind at all. Yeah. Very cool. No, please. I'm on a roll, baby. Uh, so then uh, you got Black and White, which we uh, famously infamously disagree on black and white listeners keep writing in asking us to finally decide (laughs) if into the aether as an entity likes the black and white generation and i I don't i don't think uh, we can ever come to a real conclusion on that unfortunately i'm sorry i think you can kind of lump ruby sapphire to black and white as like one era of pokemon if like red and blue is the inception and silver and gold is like them really finding their voice and like pushing the series into like a really exciting direction. It kind of stayed there leading up to black and white, which like at that point people were tired and I get why. That being said, I think black and white does a lot of interesting stuff and is one of the better single player experiences. So right. finally right you have a bat, Pokemon uh, who is trash. <laughs> I love Garboder and and Trubbish. They're easily my favorite. But that's the thing. I liked the Pokemon designs a lot. You had a lot of funny stuff like garbage. Uh, It was set in New York. So you had this like, you know, I felt a little little homesick. I know we're from Jersey, but like a lot of it feels like Jersey. I'll be honest (laughs) with the trash (laughs) Pokemon. Um, But you have this sort of setting that like. Other than uh, Johto, I didn't feel as strong of an identity in this in the settings 
in the other Pokemon games until Black and White, where like you had the George Washington, and maybe it's because it's familiar, so maybe that's you know bias there. But you had this sort of like George Washington Bridge into the New York City setting. Pokemon were animated. It was really utilizing the hardware of the DS way more than Diamond and Pearl was. Yeah, and the there were a lot of quality of life stuff that I that I, like making TMs reusable. I think is worth highlighting that game alone that was such a good decision they really stepped away from this like archaic system that works in silver and gold but didn't work as much in the other games especially not in diamond and pearl where the the progress of the game was always tied to hms and like needing to get hms to get to new areas Mm -hmm. uh black and white kind of streamlined it where you're just like progressing independent of that and and truth be told i know we knock the narrative of pokemon games a lot but that is the one story other than maybe silver and gold which we'll touch on that like had an interesting idea being explored. Um, it's not <laughs> greatly executed, but the idea that that game was exploring the team in that game was Team Plasma, who were dressed up as knights. But their whole vibe was like PETA, basically. They were like, "What you're doing with Pokemon is morally wrong. They shouldn't be fighting. We're gonna take all your Pokemon away so they can be happy." And of course, they had their own weird scheme going on. But like, um, yeah, that that was that I, that's one of my major it. gripes with that game is that they don't commit to that idea more because it's. Mm-hmm. fucking incredible what a fascinating yeah. thing i love when franchises turn inwards on themselves and ask themselves those questions it's one of the reasons i like the last jedi so much as a star wars movie is that it's asking yeah. itself what it means to be a star wars movie so often um and that to me is what pokemon black and white was trying to do initially and then completely just like jumps off that train before it hits <laughs> the final destination <laughs> yeah, yeah it totally i mean it's 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 a, a pokemon story but um, I don't know. Something about black and white felt more fresh than the other two did. Uh, I, I found that the game was also more challenging. Uh, you know, the, the first gym chooses the type that is opposite to your starter. I just, I just thought it was, I thought it was like, you know, we talk a lot about what's the next step and what's like the sort of supercut of everything leading up to that. I kind of see black and white as like the best of all the mechanics up until that point. And then X and Y, which followed, felt oh, it was also like black the, and white too. Finally, oh right, which I didn't even play. That that to me is I was I was like I don't need black. That's and white the too. thing that, that that's why again. that generation feels so flat to me. Is like not only did I not find that story too interesting after a certain point, but they made a sequel to it, which like if black and white was supposed to be the the best of like that variant of what Pokemon was at the time, but that was already turning fans off in terms of it being like revisiting the same well too frequently making a sequel to that to the point where people are burnt out is like what the fuck are you doing the yeah. thing is though that in recent years i think a lot of people have warmed up to black and white too um and and that has yeah. become the favorite of those two games which is kind of interesting and i i too haven't really played too much of it i played some of it but i, I never finished it so i think the only pokemon game i haven't finished um outside Me of sword too. and shield so ironically I which i i still need to get back to but that's for different reasons in Black and White 2, which I just found so uninspired that I split. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I, I definitely you know, might check it out one day, but I, I, I liked Black and White for what it was worth. But I, I will say we will agree on this next point that X and Y was like such a good next step for the series. Like it was such a it was the first fresh Pokemon game that felt like truly new in a very long time. And a lot of that was because of the presentation. Yeah, that was on the 3DS uh, every single Pokemon was 3D animated. Um, you could run like in every direction, so the environments felt really alive. And the setting of France was like really fun and exciting, and kind of like informed the identity of a lot of the new Pokemon with like the poodle and stuff like that. 
I do think it's like insultingly easy. I got through the whole game with just my Pangoro using power up punch. It was literally like one punch man as a panda <laughs> the whole game. Uh, and you know, it, it, it's, it's like the story is bizarre and that's where you get into mega evolutions where like pretty much every game after silver and gold has this end of the world plot going on that I actually don't think serves Pokemon well as a series. I agree. So like, but just in presentation, I thought it was a really needed change up. And pretty much since X and Y, just to kind of get back to silver and gold, because we're going a little bit uh, too much into this. I've, I found that sun and moon and sword and shield very much have just been follow-ups on the foundation X and Y has set up. Um, I think sword and shield is definitely the best of the three of them. Uh, but I think that like, it's very interesting to see where the series is at now and then go back to silver and gold and like kind of question what actually makes the series so good for us at least. Yes. Yeah. So that's uh, just short, quick, my experience with the entire Pokemon series. Oh, you don't want to keep going. Um, okay. I, uh, I actually, oh. I, I think it's worth, <laughs> uh, go for it. I, th- yeah. I think it's worth continuing on a little bit. Okay. Um, yeah. I personally, I feel like you could skate by sun and moon. I think that's totally fine. It took place in Hawaii. It was pretty good. You were, Jumping from island to island instead of doing a gym, a series of gym battles, which was like, let's try and experiment with the actual like formula of this thing, which was an interesting idea. But like, I don't know, it didn't I, I don't I don't think it landed as well for for a lot of people, especially given that the first like three to five hours of that game were all tutorial, um, which is yeah. kind of rough because like you should assume at this point that most people know how to play a Pokemon game. And even if it's supposed to be an entry to the franchise, like there's a way to do it without three to five hours of tutorial. Um Anyway, so that game existed, and uh, after that is Sword and Shield, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, And Sword and Shield was, as you and I have talked a lot about, because we've been doing this podcast since before Sword and Shield came out, and when it was announced, um, the thing that was exciting to us about that game uh, on the outset was, like, the focus was the gym challenge. Like, the focus was, you are a kid from a small town whose entire purpose is to just beat the eight gyms and then the elite four um and not only that but the but the entire game's world is centered around that idea uh everybody you meet and everybody who's in your life is excited for you because you are taking on the gym challenge and there are people who you will talk to who will be like i tried to do this and it was really difficult and i had to give up and like get a different kind of life like now i work in a fucking office because i wasn't able to beat the gym challenges when I was like 11 years old, you know what I mean? Um, and, and that, that is the, the centerpiece of that game. And it's really, really fascinating and, and a really great investment in, uh, that question that you and I are trying to answer, which is like, what makes a Pokemon game a Pokemon game? That is one answer to that question. One answer to that question is that the gym battles are actually the most important thing, which is so funny that that's what they decided to lean into after completely ditching it in Sun and Moon. Um, yeah. So, like, I, I think that that's a really fascinating thing. It unfortunately also does end up becoming like an end of the world narrative in a in a in a way. It towards is the end. so funny. I don't want to I don't want to spoil it for you, but I just have to bring it up because we didn't talk about it. in our. if you want to hear like our, our full thoughts mostly on the game, I think uh, the perfect rivals is our episode about Sword and Shield, like when we're like first playing it. And that pretty much is like what we think of it. But there's a point where Chairman Roses goes, now it is now to end the world, like on a big yes. screen. <laughs> it says like he says now to end the world to save it, of course. And I literally I just said, fuck this out loud. I'm yeah. like, really? Like it, it, that game 
could have just been the FIFA story and it could have touched on Chairman Rose's like corruption, but like we don't need to save the world every time. Like the, the, the bigger, the, the more cosmic Pokemon gets, the less special it feels. Right. And that, um, that's one of the big issues you know, with Sun and Moon as, as a generation, I think is like that game opens with a wormhole opening up and an alien coming out, you know, like <laughs> that's the first shot of yeah. that game. Um, and immediately it's like, what, why do I matter? Yeah. Whereas, and I guess it's a good time to go back to Crystal, like Crystal is so, even even outside of just direct comparison, because obviously it's easy to now go back to Crystal and, and highlight it, but like just as an RPG, I think we talk about this a lot with like games that allow you to endure yourself to the setting by giving you moments that seemingly don't matter. The first two thirds of Pokemon Crystal, there really isn't any a plot other than like maybe do this you know like it opens with you classically you know waking up you go to professor elm who uh, has a very unique vibe he's like more of a nervous wreck than oaks like kind of uh confident demeanor suggests yeah and Um, not not only does oak have a confident demeanor in red and blue but now he's famous for it because he has his own radio talk show yeah um and there's a lot of fun stuff with that where there's a lot of characters that from red and blue that come back in in silver and gold it definitely feels most like a sequel than any of the other games i mean i guess black and white 2 probably does as well but like it both works as a standalone series but there's also a lot of stuff of like oh what are these characters up to now uh like koga is one of the gym leaders in red and blue and he's one of the elite four in crystal so like stuff like that is kind of cool to see uh, and again, that also aids this feeling that the world is happening around you, that the characters you spent time with in the first game are now up to different things now. Yeah. Um, so it just begins with you uh, running an errand for Elm to meet <laughs> Mr. Pokemon, uh, one of my favorite characters, who's uh, uh, just bizarre. <laughs> just so like, can you imagine being named Mr. Pokemon and, and that is your role? You just like hang out in a house and ask questions with a, with a fucking it. supercomputer. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> he has a little house in the middle of the woods with a super supercomputer in it, and all the Pokemon professors visit him from time to time. Yeah, and he like black market deals you an egg, like Hagrid with his <laughs> with his dragon egg in the Harry Potter franchise. <laughs> and that's the thing too; it's like you're given this egg, and it eventually hatches, and it's Togepi, who is like sort of like this generation's like poster child, like. I am the baby Pokemon. Yes. You know, I'm introducing the concept of hatching as a baby. And, but it's not really that huge of a deal. It just sort of happens, you know, like it's just sort of there to introduce the concept. It's not like Togepi is the key to saving the world from a black hole. Right. You just have a Togepi now that I nicknamed over easy, whatever. (laughs) Uh, So you run this errand for Mr. For Elm and and Mr. Pokemon and he runs Oak, who's like, I like the, I like your character. Here's a Pokedex. Have fun. See ya. And like, just like in passing, hands you a Pokedex. Yeah. Cause he thinks he likes your vibe. And then he tells you to tune into his radio, his radio channel. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, he, here's your he Pokedex. Make podcast. sure you tune into my yeah. show. <laughs> here's a, Gotta here's get a those ratings up. Coupon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he tells you to like, comment, and subscribe and books it. And then. <laughs> <laughs> you go back to Elm and Elm, uh, the, your rival, who we'll talk about more, who's this like mysterious uh, lad with red hair. Uh, he steals a Pokemon from Elm and Elm's like, oh, my God, like, I hope it's OK. And that isn't even really an incentive. Like that just sort of happens and they're worried. But they're like, oh, like, OK, you Pokedex. Oh, you should totally do the gym challenge if you have time for it. Like, just go for yes, it. Yes. Right. Like, I was just I was just about to say, yeah, as you were about to say that that's not the inciting event. It's not like the Pokemon is stolen. You have to go get it back. It's literally like, well, I hope he's all right. What are you up to? Oh, you yeah. got a Pokedex. <laughs> cool, man. You want to go check them all out? <laughs> just, just go walk around for and, a bit. And the vibe of the game is like 
it, it is so it is so low key truly in that sense of like okay you're 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 given like a few crumbs of curiosity um but the biggest the biggest inciting event and the biggest pull the game has is just curiosity to learn more about the world yeah it's to go in the grass and see what Pokemon are there. I mean, at this time, this is like the new generation. It was so exciting that there were new ones. And there's a really good balance between old and new. Like you see a lot of familiar faces, Mm -hmm. see a lot of new ones. And it takes like a while. Like you, you're just sort of going through the different towns and tackling the different gyms. Um, I, I mentioned the HMs and, you know, HMs are like the moves like cut, fly, surf. Like they are moves that your Pokemon can never forget that help you traverse the environment in some way. Usually they're not great. So you want to catch like a far fetch to teach them all. Uh, <laughs> but like, uh, you know, some of them are good like surf and fly and all that. But anyway, like the HMs I actually really like in this game because they exist solely to somewhat control where you can go next. Um I mentioned how much I liked how black and white streamlines some things, but like from black and white on, the map is often just a big circle. I'm pretty sure it's the same in Sword and Shield. It's just a big circle. And that kind of sucks, honestly. Like yeah. that really, I think, is totally antithetical to the spirit of this game where like you'll see areas that you can't get to right away, almost like in Metroidvania, where like, okay, I know I'm going to get there someday, but I can't go there yet. Yeah. And it is actually kind of baffling how many areas you can explore right away. I have often, at age 30, having played this game before, it's been a while, but I've, I've finished it before in a past life. It is baffling how many times I went ahead to areas that I actually had to go back and do something else and I'd forgotten about. Or I went somewhere new and just discovered something cool. Yeah. Like, and that, that's been a, a staple f- since since Red and Blue, right? Like, I actually, yeah. in, in, in Gen 1 and Gen 2, there's like a tantalizing, interesting area in, in the starting town, right? In Pallet Town, when you go down south, there's a wall that you can't get by uh, and a bunch of water where if you were to surf across it, you can you can get to some, some tall grass, which is where you can catch a Tangela in Red and Blue. <laughs> Um, <laughs> yeah, the legendary uh, bush. Yes, right. Uh, which which is kind of interesting because you know immediately uh, as you're playing that game, like that looks like a place where I could hang out later, and then it turns out you can if you go back. And then in uh, in, in Gen two in New Barktown, there's also a big patch of water right next to your house. Uh, which if you've played Gen one at this point, you now know I will eventually get surf, and I will eventually be able to see what's across the way there. Uh, Gen one also in in uh, Cerulean City. Uh, this the second town that you end up in. There's an entire river that you can go down and end up in Cerulean Cave, which has the most powerful Pokemon in the game in it, uh, which yeah. is a thing that you could completely forget about and never end up experiencing. And that was one of the I mean, we haven't even talked about this aspect of, of Pokemon yet, but like that was one of the really interesting things about playing that game when it came out was like you were on the playground with a bunch of other kids and someone was like, have you gone to Cerulean Cave yet? And you're like, what the fuck is a Cerulean Cave? It's like, you know, that one uh that one little patch of land where there was a guy standing outside the cave the whole time after you beat the elite four he disappears and you can go visit and you can go in there and there's a very powerful pokemon inside and you think to yourself this kid is lying to me because there's no way that that's possible uh and then you try it out for yourself and it turns out it's true and that's how you get mewtwo um yeah and in this game they double down on that by saying there's a certain point in the game i think after the third gym badge where you can explore this world in almost any way you want to uh they they open it up in such a way where i believe the next uh, gym badges four five and six you can get out of order and in any order you want which is pretty fucking wild comparatively yeah and there's some stuff too like you like they're 
is one gym leader who's like with a sick Ampharos in a lighthouse and you have to go back to her later after going to a different town, which like sounds tedious, but like it is intentional in the design. I think later on Pokemon games just by default were like, oh, you have to get an HM just because we've done that in the past. Yeah. But in this game, it's just the way that they deliberately keep the pacing a little bit controlled. Yeah. You know, that way you're not just going anywhere right away. Right. There, There is a path through the through Gen 2 that is like more or less the... I would say the like designed path for the game, right? Like, yeah. I think it's after the third or in the fourth gym, you get surf, which then implies yeah. like, okay, go to the western side of the map, surf across to the town, get that gym badge so you can get fly. So then you can unlock fly and then make it back to New Bark Town to, you know, there's like, there is a path, I think, that like is implied. But it doesn't mean you have to go that way. You can go north from that town and then immediately go east instead of west and not use surf at all to get to get fly. You could just like explore the rest of the map, which is wild. I mean, one of one of our earlier episodes of this show, uh, I talked about a, a, a ROM hack of this game that was called Pokemon Crystal Clear, which is a completely open world version of this game, which essentially says, OK, you can start with one of 25 different starters and we'll put you in either Kanto or Johto, which we haven't even talked about the fact that Kanto is in this game, but we'll get to yeah. it. Um, you can start in either Kanto or Johto in Palatown or New Barktown. Uh, and then the world will scale to whatever gym, uh, whatever gym badge you have, essentially. Uh, and as you make your way around the world, you, there are there are no rocks to push. There are no places where you, you can't get to because you don't have surf yet. Like you can explore all of it immediately, which is really exciting and really cool. But like the only reason that ROM hack exists is because of the foundation laid in the main game. Like the main game is already doing a lot of that in a way that made the first game feel limiting and feel railroaded. Um, not that it really did at the time, especially if you were like seven or eight as you were playing it. Yeah. Like it's, <laughs> it still felt like expansive and big. And like the fact that it was on Game Boy and you could take it with you anywhere was like mind boggling. Like it just felt endless and it felt bigger than games you're playing on console at the time in, in ways that like really mattered. Uh, but But this game having any degree of open world was like also kind of unheard of at the time. Yeah, especially on I mean, Game Boy. Totally. And and I think what keeps Red and Blue and, and Silver and Gold specifically feeling so special uh, or crystal rather is that everything is grounded enough that when there is suddenly a big deal, when you do discover a legendary dog in the grass, it feels like a big deal. Yes. It's not like, oh, cool. I ran into the legendary who's like God's left hand or whatever, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. Uh, it, it, it means something because you're you've already gotten immersed in the world and and whatever is out of the ordinary in that world stands out because you know what the ordinary is. Mm-hmm. I also will say like I was really curious about what the challenge of this game was going to be because like I have said that you know when I play older games I I often do nuzlocks which is like playing the game in a specifically hard way yeah and I actually have only played Sun and Moon as a nuzlocke so I can't really comment on like <laughs> the, the the long tutorial because I'm like okay at least everyone's still alive. <laughs> um, Nuzlocke's are a way to play if you're not familiar or where it's just sort of like a self-imposed rule set that can make for a very interesting experience but it's you can only catch the first Pokemon you see in any given area so like Route 1 okay whoever I see first here that's the only time I can catch a Pokemon on Route 1 uh, and when they faint they're out for good so you have to you know release them uh, I keep them in a box to remember who I had but you know I don't use them anymore Yeah. Um, but uh, I like that because it really pushes it makes the game more difficult especially when you're playing something like x and y which is a great one to nuzlocke it makes the game just like have a semblance of challenge and it also makes you use a team you maybe wouldn't have otherwise but 
I was debating if I was going to do that with silver and gold because I hadn't played in so long or with crystal. And I have to say, this game, this game's level of challenge is perfect. It is at age 30 still very challenging and not in an esoteric, like early game design way, but purposely challenging. Every gym past the third one, you know, uh, the mill tank is infamous for being a tough opponent, still is. I beat it in two tries, but you know, it still gave me uh, a rough time. It knows a tracked and rollout brutal. Um, <laughs> every gym I usually will lose the first time, and then I have to rethink who's on my team outside of just what element they are. Cause you know, that's like what eventually became like, okay, like, like in Sword and Shield, the poor fire gym, he's like, I'm considered the wall of this challenge. And if you know surf, you won. You just, it's over. Uh, so, with silver and gold, there's usually at least one Pokemon they have that's like their star of their team. And you have to think about how you're going to get through it. I have won many gym battles solely by like using interesting combos. Like, okay, I'm going to confuse them and then switch to this person. And like, mm-hmm. it's just really well designed. Like, it's not brutally difficult. It's still like made for a general audience. But like, every gym takes me a few times. And I think that's what makes, even though like, Certain Shield fully invest in the spectacle of the league. Uh, the gym leaders feel like a big deal in this game because they actually require you to like learn something new or try something different. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think it's great. I mean, I am in this playthrough, I'm seven badges in. I just got to the point where, and actually, this is worth pointing out in terms of there being an A plot, there really isn't anything. There's just you going to different towns and having a good time until you run into, I think, the first city. Uh, there's a semblance that Team Rocket, even though they were rumored to be uh, defeated in uh, the first game by you, the player, they are coming back in some way and you find like an underground hangout where they're selling slowpoke tails and you defeat them and they don't come back until way later, seven badges in, they're trying to take control of the radio tower and there's kind of a plot beat with you, your rival, who kind of has like a redemption moment and Lance of the uh, Elite Four Kanto fame. Um, and that's like the only time like seven badges in where there's a semblance at an A-plot coming up. But, like, up until then, you have just been, like, getting badges and helping people. And this game has a lot more cases where you're helping people than I've found in other games. Like, there's a guy who tries to take out Team Rocket. He falls in a well, and you fight on his behalf. Uh, there's healing the sick Ampharos in uh, the lighthouse. And the fact that gym leaders also require you... They're always, like, ten levels ahead. They require you to really invest and think about your team. This game is drilling a point that Pokemon always says. They're always like, oh, you actually love your Pokemon. Your rival just thinks of them as weapons. And, like, that might not be true in Red and Blue. But it has to be true in this game because you have to care to actually progress. Yeah. Which I think is brilliant. It's so well done. Yeah. I think that's really well said. I have an idea. How about we take a break and we come back? <laughs> yeah, I got, little, I got a little bit passionate there. No, I think you that, have to care. I think that was great, and I, I want to talk more about all of those points because I think they're really important. That that's and that's the reason why revisiting this game right now, I think, uh, is is really hammering at home for me that this is like definitely my favorite generation of all these games. Yeah, um, same. But uh, let's let's take a break. Uh, I'm going to get another tiki drink. Hell yeah! And then uh, we'll come back and talk more about Pokemon Crystal and Gen Two as a whole. I'm having the best time. I can't wait. Let's do it. See you soon. Goodbye. Brendan, we're back. Um, I, uh, I'm sorry if that break took a little bit too long on our end. I, I had a few phone calls I had to take care of. and uh, Oh, fuck. Sorry. I'm getting, I'm getting called again. I have to take this real quick. One second. 
Hey, Steven, it's Joey. Uh, I took your advice the other day about uh, getting some more Pokemon, and I went out and I uh, caught God. So if you ever want to come rematch, I'll be waiting on Route 30 with my Rattata and the embodiment of light and goodness. All right, well, uh, I'll talk to you later if you want to rematch. Bye. Steven, now that we're back after being so rudely interrupted, yeah. uh, I wanted to talk a little bit more about the point that you were just making before the break, just just about like what the actual plot of this game is in that there kind of isn't one. Um, I to me, I have found at least until Sword and Shield that the plots of the Pokemon games were always the weakest part. And I was more interested in just like living in the world and seeing all the new Pokemon that existed and catching as many as possible and just like kind of experiencing the place. Right. Cause like my, I, I think my interest in this franchise, weirdly enough, you know, in, in reflecting on it has really just always been like, I want to see what it's like to actually live in a world where these things exist. Um, I mean, this goes back to, I think our first issue of the newsletter that we wrote, where I wrote a whole piece that was like taking all of the Pokedex entries for Pokemon at face value and what that means right. for humanity. You know, like like a Pidgeot's Pokedex entry in red and blue is that it can fly at mock speed and break the sound barrier uh, with every flap of its wings, which like means that it is constantly like just Pidgeot is wreaking havoc upon humanity and our ability to like live as a society that is like even remotely functional. Uh, and then multiply that by, you know, 150 and you have the entire Pokedex. Um, it's like, how, how does human, how is humanity the dominant species in a world like that? I think is always <laughs> the question that I have wanted to answer for myself. Um, but anyway, a lot of the other games have kind of like circumvented that by, uh, you know, introducing world ending scenarios or, uh, in red and blue, it's even as simple as, you know, there, there's a team of mobsters that are like trying to steal people's Pokemon and, and only you can stop, not only you, but like you can stop them, you know, and, and you do stop them. And that's, that's exciting and cool in that game, but like still feels a little bit ham fisted in, right? Like the inherent interest in red and blue is not that you're stopping team rocket, but that like, this is a world that you actually get to walk around in and explore and, 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 and feel out. And like, I, I think um, Ruby and Sapphire actually do a pretty good job of this, a, a kind of like Sword and Shield until they introduce the world ending scenario, right? You have Team Awkward, Team Magma, um, and then they're just kind of like hanging out for a while until they understand or like come to realize that Kyogre and Grudon exist and like they can use it to either get rid of all water or get rid of all land on the I planet. I love that and, like, so much. Yeah, it's, it's so It's really weird. goofy and it's fun. <laughs> but like, do you need the stakes to be that in a game like this? I think is the right. question that I constantly ask myself. And I think the answer is no. And that's why I found Sword and Shield so refreshing until the turn. But this game is like really fascinating in that it doesn't really have that at all. And as you were talking about, Team Rocket shows up pretty early on. I think it's Azalea Town with, with the Slowpoke Tail situation. But even then, it's like kind of an offshoot. And when you talk to the Team Rocket members, they're like, there's only a couple of us. <laughs> like, Yeah, they're like the first order of Team Rocket, but like without the resources. They're just sort yes. of like waiting for Giovanni to one day come back. They're kind of a shadow of their former self, very desperate. The big event is when they try to take over the radio tower. But that almost serves more as a moment for your rival to redeem himself. That's like, your yes. rival is like really rough in this game. He's like really nasty. He steals his Pokemon. Uh, you know, he's, he's like, whatever, you're weak. I don't care. And then it's up until that moment, I think after Lance beats him earlier on, 
when you get to the radio tower, your rival's there to like help take out Team, team Rocket in like a very Vegeta way. Yeah. So like, yeah. it's more about that than it is about beating Team Rocket single handedly. Right. Um, which is really interesting. And out, outside of that, there's not really much by way of of a plot. It really is just like cut and dry. You are a kid from New Barktown and your job is to just explore this world as much as possible. And and speaking to the the way that this game mechanically is set up to take advantage of the day and night cycle and, and that idea that the world exists around you, like building the narrative in, in a way, in, in a, in a way that kind of um, lends itself to that, like really does kind of like make this all feel like one cohesive package in a way. I think that the other games kind of really don't like this game really is just about you living in this world like that is that is what it is about that is the that is the vibe it's trying to elicit um you and i used to talk a lot in the early episodes of this show about game as vibe um and like this is that to a t like this this really is just like you are going from town to town seeing what's going on in those towns like if there's a gym you fight the gym if not you don't fight the gym um and you move on to the next town and just like kind of hang out but like it also by way of its its mechanics kind of leaning to the day and night thing and the time of day and the and the week of the day thing is is also asking you to like check in every once in a while like with animal crossing in a weird way like it is asking you to like tune in on sundays if you want to do the bug catching contest you know it's it's asking you to come back every day to give kurt a new apricot that you can turn into a pokeball it's it's asking you to do all of these things um because that's that's the way they anticipated or at least that's the way they designed you to play the game which i think is really fucking cool because like red and blue take advantage of being on the game boy by uh, allowing you to bring it with you and trade it and trade pokemon with other people like that's really the extent of why that thing is on game boy you know what i mean like it, it just happens to be the the platform they were designing it for but in terms of taking advantage of the hardware that's that's kind of it and then in gold and silver and gen 2 in particular they just like really ask themselves what it means to be a game boy game and because of that uh, ability to take it with you and have it with you everywhere at all times of the day they they perfectly cater this generation of pokemon to serve that idea um yeah. i think that's extremely powerful um the the idea that like all of the gym leaders are like 10 to 15 levels above you means that the game isn't meant to be played in like a grind for three hours you know and then and then go fight the gym leader mentality which is i think what ended up permeating the future games in a way this game is meant to be you turn on your Game Boy the next day after you've already played, you know, you played an hour or two the day before you turn on your Game Boy the next day and you start walking around, you start doing the daily stuff that you would normally do as if this was an MMO or something. And eventually you'll get a phone call from one of the gym or from one of the trainers that you fought previously. And they'll say, hey, if you're up for another battle, I'm down to do another one. And then you go fly to them and you fight them and you get enough experience to like level up some of your Pokemon. And that's how this game was designed to be played, um, which is a thing that I have never tuned into because i've always been the kid who just grinds out until the point where i could fight the gym leader but like yeah the intentionality behind the design just became so much more apparent when i was revisiting it for for this episode i i am like floored by the by the simplicity of it um yeah but also there's there's another element of this that i think is really important which is that all of the generations are uh, from a locale perspective based on a a certain piece of the world 
right? Like, uh, as you mentioned, Jen was at five with, with black and white is, is modeled after yeah. New York and Sun and Moon are, yeah. are, are Hawaii and X and Y are France and Sword and Shield are like England, Scotland, like that kind of thing. Um, this, this area, uh, or, or sorry, the, the Johto region in particular is pretty much based on the Kansai region of Japan, which like is known, uh, at least colloquially, as like being kind of a more historic piece of that country and is known yeah. for being a little bit uh, less developed and a little bit more like a kind of like sprawling countryside where people take things slower and there's there's a lot more um there's a lot more care given to like the the spiritual side of of that culture which is like an amazing idea to just like set the world there but they really fucking nail it in terms of the vibe of the narrative based on that right like yeah it's cool to set your game there but the fact that like all of these things that we've been mentioning for the past like hour and a half meld together into a game that like really not only uh, explores that, but like celebrates it and like honors it, I think is yeah. is really, really strong and like really kind of heartwarming in a way. I have never felt more like I was hanging out playing a Pokemon game than I than I have upon revisiting this via Crystal it, it it's even in like the small moments, like when you're going through the Elix Forest and you find the shrine, which is where you can find Celebi eventually. Um, and if you're playing this game on the 3DS, it's worth noting you can actually go and find Celebi. You don't need to connect your Game Boy to a to a cell phone tower. Um, there, there is a <laughs> way in the 3DS Russ. version to yeah. do it. Yeah, but uh, you know, there's there's a small shrine in this forest, or um, I think it's. Uh, uh, Ecrutech City is that is that how you pronounce it? I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. When, when you're there and the, you have the tin tower and it's burned down, that's actually an homage to two real towers that exist in the Kansai region of Japan, which, believe it or not, were a golden tower and a silver tower. One of them was was um, was not plated, but like there was gold leaf on the outside, and the other one was planned on having silver leaf also on the outside, but ended up burning down. And that is the that is what the the tin tower is supposed to represent in in this game, but also lent their names to this generation of Pokemon. Like there is so much honoring that history of Japan in this game. And it like really, really just, I don't know, warms, warms the heart. Like it really, it, does. it feels like you're, you're just exploring and hanging out and living in a place. Um, and I, I really appreciate it. I mean, I wouldn't, it's, it's the kind of game that I can really only compare to like breath of the wild in terms of like, yeah, just the feeling it elicits in my body. As it's I'm the only Pokemon it. game where I want to go back to other towns for specific reasons that aren't utility. Um, yeah. I mean, like, don't get me wrong. The writing is, is sparse, but like even, even in the absence of the A plot and talking about the two tower, the two towers where one had burned down, like that lesson and that, that like thesis of the game of like honoring, taking it slow and honoring, investing in like the team you have and i think in design where you know you said you can't really grind the pokemon you find in the wild near gyms aren't high enough levels to realistically grind in, in a realistic amount of time unless you're just doing it like yeah you know in you know for forever just like on unless autopilot. you're lying in bed watching a pixar movie and playing pokemon <laughs> right? crystal yeah. but if you fight all the trainers nearby you'll you'll be within a ballpark level that makes sense and then it's more about like okay who do i use and how do i use them strategy you know yeah, it, yeah. it's not like you just find the element that's strong and then you sweep like that feels like that happened later on but it doesn't work that way in this game especially because a lot of the elements are a little bit more specific like the normal type gym where like at that point, you wouldn't have access to a fighting type Pokemon. So you have to think outside the box. Yeah, um, which I for real I, did during that fight. 
Yeah, and I think that the the story of your rival's redemption, which I had forgotten about, I forgot that they had that redemption arc, does kind of aid the spirit of the game where it's like he is someone who is weirdly playing Pokemon like you might at age seven, where you're like, I just need to bolt through this. Yeah. I don't care who I have. I need the strongest Pokemon. And then learns that like it's actually worth investing in your team. And I, I messaged you this because I was blown away, but I, I did a little bit, you know, because I... I got up to the uh, the uh, I beat seven of the eight gyms and I'm like near the end in time to do this episode. And I just wanted to refresh myself on what happened. So I like, you know, looked it up. And at the end, after you become champion, you can you can uh, fight silver again on like kind of a friendly rival way. And he has a gold bat, which you can or a crow bat, yes. which you can only evolve from gold bat if you're very friendly with them. Like that's like a specific mm-hmm. in-game requirement for that evolution, which I think is a beautiful, like subtle way to show like this person has changed. Yeah, man, it's really good. Like I, I love the. I honestly think if I had to say, I mean, probably not a huge surprise given what we've just said about it, but like this is the definitive Pokemon game still, you know, even with all the quality of life improvements that came later on. I love, I love the Sword and Shield edition of like making every Poke Center a mart where there's also someone who can change the nickname of your Pokemon and someone who can remember any moves they might have forgotten. That's great quality of life stuff. But also, weirdly, it does kind of aid the theme of rushing, where it's like yeah. everything is so streamlined that there's really no there's no individuality to the utility of certain places. Like they look different, but you're there for the same reason. And even though like I love that game, that game warmed my heart too. I I, I think that's like definitely in my top five of the series like i still think that the series has kind of lost its way not to sound corny but it's lost like its heart after this game like i think like it has become we need to get bigger and better every time literally to the point of dynamax which which feels like self-parody of like just making it as big as possible which we have explored a lot Yeah, you and i've talked a lot about that in the lead up to sword and shield and and i i like how it works and i think it does make the gym battles exciting in sword and shield oh yeah they're thrilling they're so fun Yeah. yeah but i think that like it's going in a different direction than this one is this one is much more in line with the breath of the wild or an animal crossing than the later pokemon games weirdly enough um, yeah. And I feel like that's a thing that like would be worth exploring more, right? Like that that's the kind of thing that it seems like they've started exploring via uh spin-off games, right? Like like Pokemon Cafe Mix weirdly enough or Mystery Dungeon and stuff like that is like, "Oh, let's show you more of the world." Or even the 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 films, right? Like Pokemon uh Detective Pikachu, like that that is a movie that is about exploring the world in which Pokemon can actually exist, but like that's a thing that the games could be doing and should be doing more of. Yeah, I think Let's Go came close. I think that I bounced from Let's Go because I found it just a little bit too easy and a little bit too, like, I, I truthfully wasn't in love with the Go mechanics. I still found it very fun and just so, like, relaxing. But I think that that game was onto something in the sense that it created a much more calm environment. It was more about getting Pokemon and seeing how they actually live in this world than, like, you know, being the best and biggest thing. Yeah, there have um, been a lot of rumors that there's going to be another Let's Go game and it's going to be a Let's Go Johto adaptation of Gold and Silver. And like that both extremely excites me and also makes me nervous because my yeah. my biggest uh, my biggest like boon for, for Let's Go was exactly what you just described was like that game felt relaxing to play. It felt like I was chilling the fuck out while I was playing that game. And to blend that kind of atmosphere with the literal atmosphere of the johto region is like i mean that that could be a dream and the only thing that makes me 
concerned about it is a thing that we haven't even talked a lot about yet on this episode, but is the the part of that gen of, of Gen 2 where you go back to Kanto is like woefully undeveloped really in, yeah. in, in gen two it's like it's there's like, like an a, easter egg almost yeah it's like a nice to have in a way in in, yeah. in in gen two and they would probably feel the need to like really expand upon it in a let's go variant of that game and that's that's the area that i'm concerned about that's the final fantasy 7 remake you know like like terror that i feel like how are you taking this you know, eight hours of this thing and turning it into 45. Like that's, <laughs> that's what kind of scares me. Yeah. Um, yeah. Not that I don't want it. And, and as you and I have said many, many times, like we are never going to be the people who will say like, don't make this thing. You know, we always want people to be exploring new creative avenues and trying new things, but that doesn't mean I can't be nervous about it. Cause like I totally. very much am. Um, and I mean, I, yeah. I think like, and, and following Sword and Shield, I mean, I, I, I've heard good things with the DLC. I haven't played it yet. But like whatever the next mainline game is, I think it only can be more. I mean, we talked in our last episode about like the idea of like AAA games being these like giant 100 hour open world games being unsustainable. And I think how do you follow Dynamaxing? <laughs> you know, like what's yeah. the what's yeah. the what's the gimmick of the game that is like, are they even bigger? Do they become more like what is the th- like? I think you kind of have to go back to basics at a certain point in terms of like not needing a gimmick and just making a game that is about like a setting and about an experience you know i think uh i would also weirdly compare silver and gold to dragon quest in that sense where like yes there's a save yeah. the world story happening but that game is like very much interested in this sort of like low-key grounded moment-to-moment storytelling yeah um, and when you think about you know the the impetus for the pokemon franchise even existing in the first place as two guys really love dragon quest (laughs) like yeah yeah why not lean as far into that as possible i mean i think it's tough because now as we've said like pokemon is like as big as like disney you know they're the biggest the highest like grossing franchise on the planet so i think they are beholden to making the games a certain way that's not to say they're bad again like the, you and I really like Sword and Shield. I just think like I am so heavily reminded of like a very different experience with Crystal. And I think honestly, I'd love to see the elements that we're highlighting here come back in a bigger way. You know, like maybe like and that really boils down to just like a more grounded experience, a, a game that values taking your time and investing in what you have rather than just shoving as much stuff in your face as possible. Yeah, um, because because at the at the core of it, right, is is that this franchise, I mean, the the tagline of this franchise has got to catch them all. Right. Like, that's what it's yeah. always been like the but but the emotional core of this franchise has always been like like willpower and perseverance is what will make you the 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 champion of this entire place eventually. Right. Like. You you will become uh, the the I don't know you will beat the elite four and become the champion of of the world by like really 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 just working hard and exploring as much as you can and like meeting as many people and meeting as many Pokemon and catching as many Pokemon as possible and like I really think nowhere has that idea been better accomplished than in Gen two 
Yeah, I agree. Especially given the the limitations that they that they impose on you via the day night cycle and via keeping track of time of day, um, asking you to come back every day and play a little bit, kind of like an Animal Crossing, really does mean that you as as the player, not as the person you're playing as in the game, but you as the player need to make a concerted effort if you want to beat the Elite Four and become the leader. And on top of all of that is like the wild ass plot twist that once you make it to what is it Mount Silver at the end or whatever it is, you end up fighting Red, a.k.a. yourself after beating the Elite Four in Red and Blue. Like, you go and fight the player character from the first game, which, like, is a plot twist, like, for real. Um, Who is far and away the most powerful trainer in the entire game. Like, like wildly by far. Like, they have level 80 or 90 Pokemon at that point, which is absurd. I mean, that that is that is an incredible message to drive home. Like, not only do you need to, you know, uh, be the best version of yourself, but you need to beat the best version of yourself as well. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, that that's like what makes adding Kanto worth it, where it's like you literally fight red. It's awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah, I um I, I think that might be like a, a good note to like end our our overview of the game on. I'd love to move on to questions if you'd like to, but like I do think like just to seal the deal, this is this is the one to play. If you if you've never played Pokemon, this is a great place to start. If you haven't played this one in a long time, it it's ten dollars on your three DS. If you don't have a three DS, you can get an emulator. <laughs> yeah, uh, you can make it work. It's definitely worth playing. It. it um, I think there are some Nintendo franchises where like they kind of peaked at a certain time, and we're not used to it with the Switch because I feel like a lot of series are getting their peaks now with stuff like Breath of the Wild and Three Houses and stuff. But like, it's like Pokemon and Star Fox like peaked at a certain time, <laughs> and like there have been again, there have been amazing Pokemon games since. But I think, like we said, this is this is the one that really like is truest to the to the like creative foundation and and the heart of the series. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. Um, I don't really have much. If, if you want to move on, we can move on. That's 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 totally cool by me. Let's do it. Yeah, I think the questions will also inspire more conversations. Um, so I'm going to open up our list. Thank you all uh, who sent us questions. We have a lot of good ones here. I've um, said this before on the show, and I'm going to say it again. My favorite part of doing the show is when we get to answer questions from the listeners. Yeah, it is like too. literally my favorite part of this. Um, so thank, really, really, from like bottom of my heart, uh, just in terms of like an enjoyment for uh, an enjoyment of recording these episodes perspective, but also from like a uh, it, it means a lot that you're taking the effort to do this perspective. Like, thank you. Thank you so much for asking questions. It really, totally it really does mean a lot. I, I second that thoroughly. I will ask you, though, I know in your stream you kept count of how many times Youngster Joey called you. Yes. What's your what's your Joey count currently? So I beat five gyms. Okay. And in that time, including the one time I just opened up my 3DS while we were taking a break uh, to see who was on my team, uh, Youngster Joey called me 19 times. Oh, my God. <laughs> okay. He must like you way more because I am at uh, seven badges in uh, ridding the world of uh, Team Rocket once again. He's called me seven times. No way. Uh, yeah. And he ends every call by saying, I promise things will be different, <laughs> uh, which is really, really tragic. Um, That's I will really ask sad. You again, have you gone back and fought him at all? No. Not oh, once. really? I have many times. Maybe that's why he keeps calling. Because actually, there's, there is utility. And, I, and maybe, this, maybe they added this in Crystal. But there are some 
people that will like find items and they'll let you know if they found items they'll send you that uh, they'll also you tell you uh, the pokemon that are that can be found around them which is actually really helpful at, at times yeah there's a girl i think last dana or something like that she's like boys give me gifts all the time like i can just give you what they give me is that bad she like says that that's end. really good <laughs> like, yeah. you rule yeah it's so cool um i will ask you another again uh, another question what is uh what is your team currently before sure. we get into questions i'd love yeah. to know uh, my my team is pretty low key, honestly. Uh, so for those of you who watched the stream, um, I, I did I did two streams of this game, um, and I will be streaming more Pokemon. I don't know if it's gonna be Crystal, but like just stay tuned for that. Uh, it, m- it might have already even happened by the time this episode comes out. But anyway, I, I started with Totodile, who is now uh, I guess Croconaw is is the name, um, but uh, his name is Flora Daddy. He's, he's the best. <laughs> um, and then I caught uh, a Hoot Hoot because I'm a big fan of Noctowl uh, mm-hmm. and, and named her Celeste. And now she is a Noctowl, which is which is rad. Um, oh, anyway, to finish that thought, I, I I did a lot of this on the stream. And then when I switched over to 3DS, uh, I spent like an hour or two recreating my exact same team and getting them all to the same level. So like I was picking up where I left off on the stream That's uh, awesome. while, while playing on 3DS. Anyway, uh, that means that I had a ghastly named Tiki Drink, who is now a haunter named Tiki Drink. Haunter Hell being yeah. uh, my favorite Pokemon, probably like top five. I have uh, the Togepi, obviously named Eggward. Um, <laughs> I love that. That's better than over easy. No, I like yours too. Uh, I have a, I have a Sandshrew named Polaris, who is pretty much my HM dude. Um, yeah. And then uh, a Growlithe named uh, Amaterasu after the Okami. Oh, my wolf. God. Cool. Well, currently, my team is only five. I'm picky. I only want to have ones that I know I'm going to stick with. Yeah. Uh, so I chose uh, Chikorita this time. Uh, their name is Aster after the flowers. And they are currently a Bayleaf. Uh, so great. Bayleaf in the party. Um, I've got Bayleaf also got in a- the party. <laughs> 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 reflect reflect um i also have uh, a growlithe named rusty uh, i like that we both have growlithe it's great there is only two ways to get a firestone in this game i looked it up because i'm like i really want an arcanine how do i get one yeah i need a firestone to evolve growlithe obviously so you can either get one at the elite four or there's one uh one of the trainers calls you about finding a firestone uh so i'm awaiting that call Great. So I got uh, uh, Aster, the Bailey, Frosty, the Growlithe, Lunch Jr., my Slowpoke, uh, who I caught in the <laughs> well where they were capturing Slowpokes for their tails. So he's he's a solid member of the team. Icarus, my Pidgeotto, and uh, Heavy Metal, in all caps, my Magneton, uh, nice. who is the MVP of my team. Yeah, hell uh, yeah. That's what I have. Cool. I guess we'll get into the questions now. I'm going to combine these questions because I think it might be a better overall conversation. Sure. Uh, which starter did you pick when you first played? Mm. And who is the best starter and why is it Cyndaquil? So that's that's the total. <laughs> so who would you pick first Uh-oh. and who, who do you think is the best? <laughs> I'm sorry to our, our listeners. You don't, you're not a Cyndaquil stan? Well, I'll go first. Um... The starter I picked the first time was Totodile because I always pick, with the exception of Grookey, actually, was the first time I switched. Mm. I always picked the water starter. Interesting. Uh, until Grookey, who I just like immediately fell in love with. I mean, it's hard not to. Grookey was the immediately first, uh, the immediate first choice. But um, in subsequent playthroughs of Pokemon Silver, uh, and 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 even in this one, um, my my favorite has always been Chikorita, weirdly enough. I I was never a grass starter person. Uh, generally, when playing one of these games for the second time, I would always end up picking the fire starter 
Um, yeah. But you and I have a mutual friend, Chris, who uh, is a big Chikorita fan. And uh, I, I ended up picking Chikorita once based on his recommendation. And that became my favorite starter of the three uh, ever since. Yeah, this this generation of starters I'm very even on. Uh, every... I don't... I, I, I'm not beholden to the elements, okay? Um, but I... Uh, in first gen, my very first is Charmander. My favorite is Bulbasaur. So I do lean grass overall. There are obviously exceptions to that. But in this gen, I think I think my first was Cyndaquil. I think for a while I, I thought I was a fire type person. And I chose Cyndaquil first. Who's the best starter? I'm also going to go with Chikorita because I think Meganium rocks. I think Meganium is easily the best final evolution of the yeah, three. Man. I also think that there's something kind of meta uh, or not meta, but there's something about the first two generations, at least. Uh, you're almost choosing the difficulty of the game with the starter. Yeah. So, like, in the first generation, choosing Charmander is hard mode because, like, you're up against Brock first. So there's a clear advantage there. And then Misty, who is so hard at that <laughs> point, unless you found the Pikachu yeah. in Viridian Forest. Uh, Misty is so tough with the Charmander in your team. Squirtle kind of in the middle. Brock's a joke. Misty is standstill. Lieutenant Surge, look out. But with Bulbasaur, you cruise through both gyms and then you at least have an elemental resistance to Lieutenant Surge. So, like, you're kind of set in the beginning, at least. Yeah. This game, it's not quite as cut and dry, but, like, if you choose Cyndaquil first, you're going to have an easier time. Whereas uh, Chikorita is a little bit harder because the first gym is flying and then bug. So with grass, you have two gyms where they have the advantage on you. I really, um, really appreciate in this game their their willingness to like get real weird with the gyms. Yeah, what is it? It's Fl- Fal- William Faulkner's flying, and then you've got uh, sorry, I had to uh, Faulkner's <laughs> flying, uh, Bugsy's the bug gym, and then you've got uh, normal Whitney. ghost yeah. fighting steel and ice and then dragon yeah really cool yeah especially like the first few in particular like having uh having to fight ghost and normal types like in the early game is like what do i do like you know because like even if like i had a slowpoke who knew confusion but like you had to fight like a level 25 gengar like early game you're like what do i do with this yeah man Um, my i mean especially with my insistence of having a um like a ghastly on my team early on with every pokemon game that that's an option like fighting whitney with a with a ghastly was really stupid <laughs> like, really yeah. stupid but was a fun time um yeah so i mean i i like cyndaquil as well i also like totodile as we've said many times totodile becomes like a big dad at the end he's yeah. like the aggressive assistant rec soccer coach uh <laughs> and cyndaquil's <laughs> evolutions i just find kind of underwhelming he just sort of gets like mean yeah he like becomes like a fiery ferret i do uh, like typhlosion but like the the growth from cyndaquil to typhlosion is not very exciting yeah whereas like chikorita it's unclear what they're gonna become they're like a little bean and then they become a dinosaur and you're like what the hell yeah. yes yeah uh, like a land before time hippie dinosaur like Ugh. sign me up mechanium is so uh, good Ugh. Anyway, I think I think I'm glad we're on unison that Shikarita best starter. Here's a fun question. What other two regions do you think would benefit from being stuck together like Kanto and Johto? Oh fuck. I'm gonna I'm gonna be conceptual with this, not necessarily like the game itself, but just the setting. I would say uh Unova and Aloha. So you've got the urban New York City setting, and then you can take a plane to Hawaii and get the like <laughs> you know, the island outdoor setting. Yeah. Um that would be kind of interesting to have that contrast. Yeah. Oh man. Um I think uh my my 
my blending of two regions, I think, would be uh, Kalos from X and Y and the Hoenn region from Gen 3, uh, just because I think it'd be cool. I just love those two regions. I want them next to each other for whatever. Hey, dear uh, Pokemon Company writers, you can figure out how those two are next to each other. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. I just like them a lot. Yeah. I, I think uh, I think that'd be really fun. Honestly, like it's so funny how long the uh, the like fan clamor for like a Pokemon game that blends all of the regions together has has existed. Like that's so funny that that has been like a rallying cry for literally decades at this point. Um, but yeah. you know, speaking to. Uh, a, a comment that you made earlier about how this is like weirdly enough the definitive Pokemon game and how there are so many things from this game, uh, th- this generation being two, uh, that that have carried forward into other uh, other generations. Whereas other improvements from those generations haven't moved forwards as well. The one thing that I think everyone wish came forward was the fact that there were two uh, two regions on one cartridge. Like that is the one thing that kind of everybody wants, and that like very famously. I mean, we don't need to get into it, but it is worth mentioning. Like that that very famously was Satoru Iwata, may he rest in peace, uh, who spent a really long night and woke up the next morning and like had implemented all of Kanto in Pokemon Gold and Silver, like miraculously fitted on the cartridge, yeah. just like kind of in one fell swoop, um, which required very little additional work. On top of that, he just did it all in one night which is like a a literally legendary coding feat him figuring out how to put kanto on the game in addition to the rest of the game is like you figuring out how to upload games of the decade onto a podcasting service (laughs) like how'd you you fit all this in one place yeah yeah truly incredible i think it would be cool i would i would love to see that kind of like playfulness with the settings i think that honestly you know i think we we uh, I have been weirdly a little bit negative on Sword and Shield. I think that that has one of the cooler settings and that that's something that like oh, yeah. they went into a lot of detail with. Uh, and I think that the that it would be cool to see whatever the next mainline game is, utilize the wild area with the setting in a really interesting way. I, my friend Devin and I were talking about like he asked me like what I thought the next setting was going to be. I, I have no idea. I have no clue. And he was saying that he would at least love to see like a, a Middle Eastern inspired setting cool. um, based yeah. on some of the stuff in the Pokedex about, I think it's Kaparaja that like specifies they're from like a specific region that's mm. like uh, Middle Eastern inspired. And I think that would also, you know, lend itself well to like, you know, having a whole desert that's like the wild area, you yeah. know, like having that be the setting. I think it'd be awesome for a number yeah. of reasons. I mean, I would love to see more of the world represented, basically. Like, right. choose your region. Yeah, I mean, you, awesome. could, you could throw it in, um, in like a kind of South American inspired area, right? I mean, that that's technically where Mew came from. And you can have like a kind yeah. of like jungle safari vibe in the wild area. Like, there, there yeah. are definitely a lot of avenues to take that are still unexplored. Um, it is cool that like over the course of the many generations, they've kind of like broken Japan up into different sections uh, and have totally. made a game about each of those sections of Japan. So we pretty much have Japan realized at this point within the Pokemon world. Um, but there, there are so many more unexplored areas that I think um, could make for some really interesting games. But yeah, totally. th- this idea of taking two regions and like gluing them together, I think is something that's like literally everyone wants still yeah (laughs) and has wanted since they did it this one time and it's like wild that it hasn't happened again like i I, true like truly like i don't i don't want to sit here in my stupid broken office chair in my new jersey apartment and say like 
you should do this. It's going to be easy because I know it's not. I know it's not easy. It's not easy at all. But like it is just wild that it hasn't happened considering how much people have wanted it for, I don't know, 20 years. Yeah, I mean, anyone who's listened to our show knows you and I are are giant champions and 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 uh, by circumstance defenders of Pokemon as a series, including the new ones. Like we love what they're doing. (laughs) Yeah, I think. Part of loving something is seeing, wanting to see it grow, you know? So yeah. I think that, and I think too, playing around with setting more would feel more magical than whatever new god they add to the Pokedex, you know? Or like whatever new Digivolve form they add to the gameplay, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. We've also gotten to a point where like the legendaries, oh man, this isn't even a thing we talked about, which I, I really wanted to touch on, but um, we've gotten to the point where legendaries in the Pokemon games just like don't feel legendary literally at all. Like they don't feel interesting. Whereas in this game, again, leaning into the fact that it's based on the Kansai region and and spirituality and like an exploration of like kind of ancient Japanese folklore like this game's focus on legendaries is less of a you go to cerulean cave and find a fucking failed genetic experiment that is like upset to be alive and more of a (laughs) there are these two incredible legendary birds that have been like kind of uh talked about for like centuries in this area that you eventually have to track down and you have the three legendary dogs who like represent the different uh, the, the different like pieces of, of, of livelihood on, in the world and like they're constantly roaming around the map and you have to track them down and find them. In Crystal, it's different because you can actually just like go find Suicune and go like grab him. He's just hanging out in Tin Tower. Um, but but I don't know. And the, the, the focus on legendaries in uh, Gen 2 is is really, really fascinating and like something that I kind of wish they would return to a little bit more that like, yeah, they really do feel like they feel like legends made made real. They feel like myths because you have to you actually them. track them yourself. Like you have to put in the work to find them. It's not like, you know, like in Sword and Shield, it's like in the A-plot, you just find this like Lovecraftian Bloodborne boss that like, yeah, you have a Master Ball already. I mean, actually, that one at least makes it like a fun raid battle. But like, usually it's like in the A-plot, you encounter a Pokemon that represents life and death itself and you have a Master Ball and you catch it. Right. And that's yeah, I mean, it, you look you know. at Diamond and Pearl, right? That are like, those are the, those are the embodiments of space and time. And like, that is the A-plot, right? Like Gen 3 has Kyogre and, and Groudon who like are the sea and the land embodied. Um, what What is it? Uh, Platinum has uh, that thing that is like, what, what darkness you know yeah. like like that's high that, matter or something yeah yeah that, that just like becomes the thing i think the closest they get to it actually is also in gen 3 with uh the the reggie line of pokemon where you have rock ice and steel um and you literally have to like go on on the internet and translate braille to be able to understand how to find these things and it involves like catching a specific pokemon and having it like number five or six in your party and going to a specific spot on a certain day at a certain time to open up like certain doors like all of that is how you should be encountering legendaries like that to me is the Pokemon experience, like the quintessential Pokemon experience where like, it should not be easy to find these things and it should definitely not be part of the A plot. Yeah. Cause that, it makes it not feel special. It's like, this is literally something everyone has. This is the least unique thing I have in my inventory. My shiny slowpoke is worth way more than a thousand Kyogres. You know what I mean? Literally. 
Anyway, uh, that rant aside, what am I doing? Um, here's a fun question. <laughs> if you had to, if you had to pick a profession in the Pokemon world that wasn't a Pokemon trainer or gym leader, what would it be? And how would you use Pokemon to make it work? This is a really good question. Uh, so just, just to refresh, what would your profession in the world of Pokemon be? It can't be trainer or gym leader. And how would you use Pokemon to help with your work or make it work? Wow. That is a really good question. I, I have an idea. It doesn't seem to take much to be a professor. I think you just have to ask why twice. And they're like, <laughs> he's a professor. Uh, so <laughs> I think I would be a professor. Uh, and I would have maybe like a Mr. Mom go like, oh, good point. Or like a Meowth that knows how to talk. Be like, oh, I never thought of that. And just sort of yeah. muse around town. Be kind of like a Quixotic professor asking like questions like, I think Pokemon have sex. And everyone's like, oh, I thought the eggs were just from somewhere else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll be a professor. I'll be a... <laughs> <laughs> that just states what everyone should already know and get critical oh. acclaim for it. <laughs> but yeah, I think I would have like my lab assistants be like, oh, you know what I would want? I would want that one of my favorite newer Pokemon is the Ranculus, the Cell. I would have one of those like be my assistant. Okay, great. Uh, yeah, that's perfect. Yeah. And a Mr. Mime to be like, oh, I never thought of that. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I'll be um, professor with my two assistants. That's a great answer. That's a really good answer. I, I have I have an answer and then I have uh, another one that I just am curious about. But my my answer, probably not shocking to those of you who have heard episodes of the podcast before, but I definitely would just want to be a photographer if possible. Mm, I would love yeah. to be the guy who takes the pictures for the Pokedex, you know? Yeah. Um, just take Pokemon Snap and like make it my whole livelihood. Absolutely. So fucking on board with that. I think that'd be awesome. Um, like like Nat Geo style photographer. My uh, I don't know if I've talked about this on the show or not, but um I talk a lot about how like Detective Pikachu, um, at least with my friends who are tired of hearing this at this point, but I talk a lot about how Detective <laughs> Pikachu is kind of like the least interesting movie they could have made in this franchise. It's just like, here's a person who is becoming a Pokemon trainer, fighting a legendary Pokemon who happens to be fucking Mewtwo of all Pokemon. Like we've seen this so many times in film form, like show us something new, show us something interesting, show us more about how this world can exist. Um, my, my dream Pokemon movie is literally, and I know they will never make this cause it's stupid, but it's what I want. Um, <laughs> my dream Pokemon movie is literally a David Attenborough narrated Nat Geo documentary <laughs> in the style of planet earth. That is all Pokemon. Um, like that's so good. I want it so badly. Um, anyway, let me be the guy who films that, you know, um, totally. anyway, so that's one idea. Um, the other idea, just because I want to know more about it. How do they make TMs? <laughs> yeah. What is the, is it like a? It's a disc. It's a disc. It it's almost, a compact uh, disc. How do you teach it to a Pokemon? How does that work? I, what What is the physicality of using a TM on a Pokemon? <laughs> do you put it in the radio and someone's like, "Welcome, Psyduck." Here's how to use water gun. <laughs> wow, first that's a much better first. version of it than what was in my head. I love... <laughs> <laughs> hey, we got a long trip to Cinnabar Island. I want to put on TMO1. <laughs> oh, man. This is way better. I, I know that I'm not the only person who thinks this, but there's def... Dear listener... Please send me a tweet or something if this was also your interpretation, which is literally like, eat this fucking disc. Just fucking take this thing. 
<laughs> After listening to TM01 Payback Punch, this disc will self-destruct. So Psyduck, I hope you remember what we're teaching you today. Yeah, that's what I imagine. Listening to it together, then it explodes. <laughs> it does have like an edible suggestion though, doesn't it? Yeah, I truly wonder. They're never explored on the show, are they? Is Ash ever like, wow, it's EM? I Not that so. I know of. Um, in in yeah. Fire Red and Leaf Green, when you when you teach a Pokemon a move via a TM, it literally shows the disc like hovering over the head of the Pokemon, and then it says machine <laughs> set. <laughs> yeah, because it stands for technical machine. Yeah. I have no idea. It's so bizarre. It's really weird. It's Do one of the most like... Bizarre concepts in the game, honestly. Do you think there's like an actual explanation for this? Let's Google it. Yeah, I am Googling it. Bul- Bulbapedia has been open for most of this call. So let's see. TMs have How not appeared TMs in the anime. Work? They were mentioned once in the Japanese version of Pokemon Mystery Dungeon. There is one. They look like they're floppy disks. Interesting. Okay. How does a Pokemon use a TM? I ask Google. Why? Do, why has nobody else asked this question? Why is why? Why are we the people asking this question? This has this is something that's been on my mind literally forever. And why can't I find this on the internet? This is so important to me. Yeah, the biggest uh, the biggest hint is that they look like CDs. Yeah, there's nothing. There's nothing, Brendan. I think it's either eaten or it's a one time podcast. <laughs> Thank God I can listen. I can re-listen to Surf. What? If, <laughs> what if? What if HMO three is just like <laughs> under the boardwalk? <laughs> it's just like a Beach Boys album. <laughs> boardwalk, boardwalk. Sick. I learned how to surf, and then <laughs> Fly is just Lenny Kravitz. That's so dumb. That's very good. This is this is wild that this is not more explored. This gets back to the piece I wrote for the newsletter. This is like, yeah, TMs have existed since literally the first Pokemon game. How are we the people asking this question? <laughs> Unbelievable. Okay, we, we have to move on or else this will be yeah, the rest yeah. of my day. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I uh, we'll, we'll find out. Okay, moving on to the next question. Do you think there's like a company that like, like prints <laughs> TMs? Like, do you think there's like... T- like, do you think the Sylph company company is making is making TMs in like a factory somewhere? Oh, wow. I wonder. I wonder if. Yeah. I w- my first thought was like, there's some kind of weird Eternal Sunshine Pokemon team that like just record memories on discs and they like relearn them. Yeah. Uh, but that's a little <laughs> bit. That's a whole other movie. Yeah. I wonder why it's never explored. Maybe one day we'll learn. Um, well, because you have to think from a, from a certain perspective, like this is also a world that has created a a small ball that can contain a creature the size of like Rayquaza, you know, right? Like, right? There is there is some kind of inherent technical mastery that exists in the Pokemon universe that like we don't really know. It's it's literally science to the point of magic, right? Like, <laughs> is. Is a TM something that like you and I just like honestly can't even comprehend. But like from what we know of the franchise via that screenshot I just looked at from Leaf Green and Fire Red of of a of a TM disc on top of a Meowth's head. Like, <laughs> is that enough? You know, is there just something that we can't understand happening there? I would love to see a trainer like put a CD on a Snubble's head. And, like, I don't know. I can't learn this. OK, I don't like it. I don't like this album. <laughs> 
Um, let me just put REM's automatic for the people on your head and hope for the best. <laughs> I learned, uh, I learned payday. I don't know why. Here we go. <laughs> uh, oh shit. This is a mixtape I made for my crush in eighth grade. Oh no. <laughs> you learned nightshade. Oh shit. <laughs> How's your team? Youngster <laughs> Joey calls you. Hey, my Rattata is full of energy. He can't stop belting the bends. I've given him all the classic <laughs> Radiohead hits. My Rattata won't stop fucking singing Karma Police, please. <laughs> <laughs> go, go, Slowpoke. Four minutes, I lost myself. <laughs> that is faint by hearing such beautiful melodies. Oh my god. <laughs> Mr. Mime's going through his kid A phase. <laughs> Ice Age coming! Ice Age coming! <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. My Noctowl won't stop listening to the Harry Potter audiobooks. He fixes his head wig. <laughs> Oh my god. That's the only way we can explain TMs, honestly. That makes more sense than eating them. <laughs> it being REM's best hits makes more sense than like... I know water gun, but my gums are a wreck. Okay. I think we should move on. I'm surprised every uh, Pokemon that, doesn't well, learn mean look when you try and feed it a TM. <laughs> <laughs> Or rage. <laughs> mean look is definitely a limp biscuit up. <laughs> you get TMO too. It is one of those days. Yeah. Okay. Moving on. Uh, this is somewhat related. What Game Boy sound chip Pokemon Cry is Steven capable of imitating? I'm sure there's at least one. <laughs> I also uh, want to know the answer to this. Did I ask this one? <laughs> you might have spiritually. I uh, I don't know if it's a great impression, but the one I remember off the top of my head is Drowsy's because it's like. Yeah, <laughs> this is yeah. weird, like sudden explosion. Um, there you go. That's drowsy. Moving on. Uh, how much did you try to figure out what the secret behind TMs were? And which album is your favorite? No, I'm kidding. How much did you try to figure out? How much did you try to figure out what that secret behind the unknown ruins of Alf Cave was? The Zelda fan in me was convinced that there was more to them than just finding the unknown, and I spent hours in gold looking for secret exits, etc. Was low-key super gutted that nothing came of it. Um, I didn't really even touch Ruins Valve, to be honest. Like, I, I, I found Unknown supremely underwhelming. Kind of like, I appreciate that it's, like, totally optional, but that, that is, like, at least winking at the idea of, like, there being this hyped-up, like, legendary thing, and it never really manifests yes uh, um yeah. it definitely definitely is worth noting that um so first of all in crystal they actually added more stuff to the ruins of elf uh than than was available in silver and gold so um i'm sorry dear question asker uh that you that you tried to figure that shit out in in gold because there actually is more stuff in crystal i don't remember if it's actually like worth doing honestly uh I, if i recall correctly it's really not but there is an interesting thing that i noticed um and i'm at, i'm on the bulbapedia page right now and confirming this but uh if you listen to the radio in the ruins of alf the unknown will actually take over the radio and start sending morse code to you 
Um, Whoa, that's wh- awesome. Which is very cool. I didn't actually like figure it out because I didn't really, <laughs> I didn't really care enough because I don't find unknown super exciting. Um, yeah. Why? Why is there a whole race of Pokemon that are just letters of the the English alphabet? <laughs> yeah. Very weird. I always thought that like if I caught certain letters, it would like change something, and it just never does. It's like one of the few things in this game that doesn't reward you for your own curiosity. Yes. Uh, Especially considering so- it's introduced to the player as like there is a there is a mystery to be solved here, you know? Yeah. I also <laughs> Yeah, it's just bizarre. It's bizarre too that they didn't even bother naming them because like they're not uncommon. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, I don't know, whatever, unknown. Um, <laughs> there is like a bunch of stuff though. Um, there, there is like a, a bunch of stuff. Like when you go, when you show up there, the first sliding puzzle you have to solve, or I guess it's not a sliding puzzle; it's just like a puzzle you put together, is a uh, Kabuto. But then eventually, like once you get Surf and other things, you can like revisit it and find new areas um, that have more stuff in it. Um, which have like a bunch more puzzles, which I like remember solving way back in the day. Like I remember like really going at them. Um, actually looking at it right now, excuse me, I'm on, I'm on, uh, Bulbapedia again in crystal. The hidden room will open if the player has a water stone in their inventory. Um, what does the hidden room do? It doesn't seem to do much. Yeah. It doesn't seem to do much. It just exists. There's just a hidden room. Uh, it seems like there's a bunch of items that you can get eventually. So there's like uh, you can you can get like a nugget and like a big mushroom and stuff like that, which is like fine. It's OK. <laughs> I was imagining a bunch of trainers coming back from their like daily routine. Like, yeah, dude, I saw. Dude, I, I swear I saw Suicune. OK, and it's like, yeah, well, I found a big mushroom in the ruins of Alf. <laughs> cool. You can get uh you can get a gold berry, which when held restores thirty HP to a Pokemon, but you just get the one. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, Alf. Sure. I see you. Whatever. Yeah, I def- definitely uh something that like should have been more interested and filled out and explored. And like honestly, uh hey, game freak person who's definitely listening to this podcast, if you do a let's go Johto, fill out the ruins of Alf a little bit more. Could be interesting. Yeah. Could be interesting. A lot of potential there for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, the fans are clamoring okay. for it. <laughs> More Alf. Question for the pod here. Why Crystal instead of Heart Gold Soul Silver? Aside from the game themselves being prohibitively expensive. Um <laughs> that's a great question. I would want to revisit because I have Soul Silver uh near me. At this point in time, too, like I don't know if Diamond and Pearl is recent enough. That is it's like a a clear choice. I don't know. I I honestly still prefer the presentation of Crystal. I like the like Game Boy style of it. I think the sprites still look great. I don't think that Heart Gold or Soul Silver is like modernized enough to really be that different of an experience. The biggest difference is like uh if you want to upload your Pokémon to Diamond and Pearl or like play online, but I don't even know how active that is these days or if it's possible. So like I think that uh, I would still recommend Crystal as a single player experience. I think that there are some quality of life things in Hardcore Soul Silver, and a big sell is that mechanic of having your Pokemon follow you around. That is amazing. Yeah, uh, it's great. But overall, I'd still I'd I'd still vote for Crystal over over the remix. Maybe that's a hot take, but I think I think Crystal doesn't really need to be remade in a traditional sense. I think it's doing what it what it set out to do perfectly and anything else would just be like a different aesthetic yeah i mean we haven't even really talked about gripes at all with with 
the second generation of games and like that's mainly because i don't really have a whole lot of them honestly yeah. and like i don't i don't fully remember my experience with heart gold and soul silver i definitely did play soul silver a lot i don't know if i've ever talked about this on the show but a very wild thing happened that game came out the summer before i went to college and i showed up freshman year at art school unsurprisingly this ended up happening but like i showed up at art school everybody had this game that was like that's what you were talking about where like everybody suddenly got back into pokemon like it was very cool to be into pokemon again because they remade gen 2 um and pretty much everyone i knew at art school had a ds and was playing heart gold soul silver and it got to the point where we ordered um we ordered armbands with pokeballs on them and we and and the the freshman dorm in my college was uh five floors the first being a lobby and then four floors of dormitories uh and and one person on each of the floors got one of the armbands and they were the gym leader of that floor they were like part of the elite four technically oh my god yes and, and the rule was if you were the if you were the member of the elite four you had to wear the armband uh and if somebody saw you wearing the armband you had to wear it all the time somebody saw you wearing the armband they could as if you were locking eyes in a pokemon game challenge you to a battle at any point unless you're like on your way to a class you had to have like a like a pretty good reason to not <laughs> battle me coward you made eye contact yeah it's like dude i'm on my way to a fucking final right now like i can't do this yeah. um anyway you had to battle and if they beat you they got the armband and that was the rule um and and that that was like it started off where there was one on each floor and then it kind of like uh blended all over the place but um that was my experience with with soul silver and i remember that way more than i remember anything about the game because that was such a fucking bizarre experience <laughs> yeah um but anyway uh shout out to andrea caprodi who i co-host a bunch of podcasts with who uh was also part of that experience um, oh i love that that's so good that's so good very good anyway um yeah, I mean, I would still recommend. I think it just depends on like. <laughs> yeah, I didn't answer the question at all, did I? Uh, I, I personally, I, th- I just think Crystal is a good game, um, and yeah. and I kind of agree with you. I think I think it accomplishes everything it wanted to accomplish uh, by itself. Um, I and I don't remember enough about the remakes to really justify going back and checking them out versus the original. I, I feel like uh, I, I I wanted to see why Gen Two in its original form. Uh, really, like, imprinted itself upon my brain in a way that the, the the remakes didn't, I guess. Yeah. I would say, like I said earlier, though, that, like, if you haven't played Red or Blue, like, Fire Red and Leaf Green is the way to go. Probably, sure. Yeah. Like, yeah. That, that is a... Unless you really want, like, what the original experience was, those games are going to be a much better time. And I think both remakes are pretty beholden to the original. It's just a matter of, like, presentation and, and whatever. Um, yeah. Cool. So, yeah, I think we both recommend Crystal over the remix. Here's a fun one. And this is their last question. What are your top three Pokemon from Gen 2 that need Gigantamax? Not even sure how to spell it anymore. Oh, <laughs> I think you did fine. And what would their special big version be? I.e. Inteleon becomes like a sniper. Garboder being covered. I'm not sure Garboder is, but, you know, some of them turn into like buildings. I think Lapras is a cruise ship. So, like, what would be... The three Pokemon from Gen 2 that you think need Gigantamax. Do you want to each come up with three or do you want to have a collective three? I don't know, but um, I want to I want to enter Murkrow into the Ooh. into the field. Uh, is Murkrow Gen 2? Murkrow is Gen 2, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, big, scary. Actually, actually, I completely I take Murkrow off the field because I'm realizing now the more the more I say that that's just Corviknight. <laughs> I just I just also, want Murkrow to turn into Corviknight. Apparently, Murkrow has an evolution called Haunchcrow. Oh, yeah. So you'd want to... You'd, 
<laughs> Hunchko, Hunchko. No, no, no. Sorry, that's my cousin. I'm Gigantamax Corviknight. Um, uh, okay, how about this then? Skarmory. I was thinking the same thing. Swords for wings. Yeah, yeah. Skarmory is easily one of my favorite Pokemon, never Me mind too. from this generation. And they don't have an evolution, which is probably why I like them so much. They're just like a badass steel bird. But one yeah, of the having... only Pokemon with no evolution that like is maybe better because of it. Yeah, but I think having a, a temporary evolution like a Gigantamax would be really fun. And I think yeah. uh, I think giant swords would be cool. I'm wondering what object they would be, though. Like, I guess like maybe just a... I really see a big fucking scary bird with, instead of feathers, huge, like, glaives, you know? Yeah, I'm into that. I think that'd, I be, like that. I think that'd be really sick. Yeah, I think Skarmory for sure. Uh, I guess we'll do collectively three, so this episode isn't Games of the Decade. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Trying to think who else is here. Um, honestly, uh, I, I love Meganium. Wouldn't mind a Gigantamax Meganium. Uh, cool, and just, yeah. like, total... I guess what would happen? Because right now they're like again, like a little foot from land before time with the big flower and antennas. I wonder if like we can just sort of like Jurassic Park Meganium, just like more flowers, more dinosaur. Why not? Yeah, um, that works for me. I'm seeing some. Yeah, I think like just you know, just have your imagination fill in the rest. And who would be our last one? Oh, you know what? I know who. Deli Bird. Gigantamax <laughs> deli bird, just full fucking Christmas scenery. Uh-huh. Like the Santa, Santa on a fucking sled pulled by whatever the reindeer Pokemon are. Just like yeah. throwing gifts, full Santa. Gigantamax deli bird, my dream. I can't argue with that at all. That sounds great to me. <laughs> so it is. It's Meganium, Skarmory, and deli bird. That that feels right. Yeah. Cool. That's real goofy. I'm very into it. <laughs> And uh, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the end of our show. show. Um, yeah, I Let guess me ask that's you a it. question because I, mean, I don't know if we ever talked about this on the show, but what what Pokemon would you want most like to hang out with you right now in Gen two or just in general? Just all in all. <sighs> I really like Bulbasaur. I think like if Whoa, Pokemon were that's re- an interesting choice. Yeah. Okay. Um. I, I think that if Pokemon were real, I could see myself definitely having a Bulbasaur just to hang out with. Yeah. I, I feel a weird kinship with Bulbasaur. Uh, I also would love a Growlithe. Um, mm. You know, a, a, a decent analog to reality of having a dog. And also would love a Skarmory. I think those three, if I could have three chilling in my house, it would be Bulbasaur, Growlithe, and Skarmory. I think my base is covered. That's cool. That's a cool. Yeah. That's a cool. Yeah. How about you? Um, my, mine has mine is uh, like Growlithe adjacent has always been, I think, a little bit more low key and maybe weird. But mine mine was also uh, always Persian. I think Persian would be mm. a really cool Pokemon to just like have hang out. If you totally. could get, if you could get a big pred- predatory cat that like wasn't a wild animal and like would actually hang out with you. Yeah, that'd be fucking cool. Like if I could get a mountain lion, but like actually like <laughs> chill with it, you know? Yeah, I mean that was Giovanni. He like pet a Persian while scheming. Yeah, man, um, that's me. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I like that. Persian's a good answer. I also would love. I, I would love to say Trubbish, but I don't want trash in my house. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think that's my answer. But yeah, honestly, this has been so fun to do. Uh, uh, thank you all for listening this long. I hope you enjoyed it. This is a game Brendan and I have both said that like we will probably keep playing. Like, because you know we always enjoy whatever we're talking about, but especially for bonuses, we like kind of make an effort to concentrate on them and then might move on. You know, like 
Last of Us 2 was a game where we like really had to finish it, talk about it, and then move on. Also not a game to really like pick up <laughs> again <laughs> after finishing. All right, new game but plus. Let's one. do it. Yeah. Uh, but Glad I get to uh, keep Crystal, all my supplements. Yeah, seriously. But Crystal, I uh, I really think I'm going to see through and just like it, if it fills a very unique place in my schedule right now where, like you said, it is a great game to play like while watching something or just like unwinding. Because there are some games that feel like they're like an active, and that's not a bad thing at all, but it's okay. I am actively present to play this and I'm, and it's requiring all my focus right now. And there's stuff like Crystal where it can just be like an unwinding game. Yeah. You know, yeah. like uh, kind of like how we described, uh, I think, what was it? Uh, Worldwide Classics? No. Mm-hmm. There was another game we described as a good wind down game. Um, but I, w- I would say Crystal is like, could either be the main event or a great wind down game either way. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. I spent yesterday doing laundry like pretty much all day. I had to like wash every bit of my clothes that I had. And I just, <laughs> I, uh, I, I spent the entire day watching movies and playing Pokemon crystal and it fucking ruled. It was so great. It was such a great way to spend the day. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, th- this game is just amazing and this generation is amazing. Um, I, I can't I can't recommend it highly enough if, if those of you out there who uh, have somehow made it all the way to the end of this episode without playing these games haven't played them. Please go do it. It's it really holds up, um, especially way more than than Gen 1 does, because like, as you mentioned, oh, totally. Gen 1 has like a lot of bugs that I think as a person playing in 2020, you will run into more than you would have if you were playing them in 1997. Um, There's also like an AI difference too. like in, in Silver and Gold, like they are selecting moves they know will be effective against whoever you have out. But in Red and Blue, it's sort of random. They just choose like whatever moves yeah. they want. So like. Uh, it's just not as good of an experience, but you know, it's still obviously a great time and like worth respecting for being the first game of this series. But yeah, yeah. Crystal, um, great in 2020, even better. Can I just for fun? Cause we're at the end of the episode, bring up some stuff that I wrote down, but we didn't get to. I would love that. Yeah, totally. I have two things. Number one, this is just a fact. If you catch a shuckle and you give a shuckle a berry, eventually that berry will turn into berry juice. Did you know that? No, this is only true of Shuckle for some reason. (laughs) I got a Shuckle. I talked to an NPC and they said, you look nice. Do you want my Shuckle? And I was like, okay. And I got it and they named it Shucky. And I just immediately put it in my PC. (laughs) That's very funny. Um, Here's the the second part of this. If you make sure that that Shuckle continues to hold on to that berry juice, it'll eventually turn into a rare candy. Whoa. Is it like turning into candy inside their rocky body? Is that what's happening? Yes. That's amazing. How cool I is love that? that? Yeah. I just, yeah. I just learned that in like doing research for this episode and I thought it was fucking fascinating. The other thing that I, that I'm really interested in that we didn't really talk about at all is the fact that this game takes place like question mark years after the first games. Um, like yeah. th- this is like not only a sequel, but is constantly referencing being a sequel. Um, and I don't remember if it's Goldenrod or uh, Ecrotech City, but eventually you run into Bill, uh, who, who yeah. is famous for having Bill's PC. He invented the Pokemon box, uh, which is fascinating in itself that like this is a mechanic, um, just a way to just a way to store Pokemon that they built into the game that they were like, let's create a character who invented this in fiction. Um but when you meet Bill in this game, I just think it's really fascinating that he's like, hey, my guy, what's going on? Glad to meet you. Uh, cool thing. I invented a time machine, uh, but literally the only <laughs> way you can use a time machine is to send Pokemon back in time. Uh, and you can't do anything else with it. 
but I built a time machine and it's uh, it's available for use by consumers for free in every Pokemon Center around the world. I did take a picture with my phone of my 3DS of a line saying, like, we apologize in advance. The time machine is currently under operation. And I'm like, I came in here to, to cure my poisoned Growlithe. <laughs> and and you're, you're assuming I knew time travel existed, that you had a device that did it, but you're apologizing because I can't use it right now. Yeah. Amazing. I mean, if if we're gonna if we're gonna talk at all about the like reality of fiction of living in a world where Pokemon exist, like the fact that a dude outside of Cerulean City in the outskirts of Cerulean City built a time machine and is like, ah, you can only use this to send Pokemon back in time to yourself, and that's it, is like very weird to me, and I love he it. He also turned into he turned himself into a Nidorino at one point. And was like, yeah. help me, I'm a human. Yeah. What a weird guy. <laughs> I just wanted to touch on on Bill and Bill's weird life. Give me a fucking movie about Bill's life, you know? Give me a biopic. Totally. Do you think he's named after Bill Gates? <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> oh, my God. Because he kind of has, like, he has a 1990s, like, computer developer fashion going fucking on. Fucking yeah, he does. Oh, my God. He yeah. is absolutely Bill Gates. <laughs> I only made that connection right now. Oh my and Gary god. Gary is Gary Oldman, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, Oh my god, Gary Sabrina, Sabrina the Teenage oak. Witch? Wait, what? Sabrina. Oh my god, yeah. Uh, she has to be named after that. There's no way. Shit. <laughs> Mr. Feeney is Professor Oak <laughs> from Boy Meets World? Yeah, Sabrina's definitely named after her. There's no way that isn't uh that's coincidental. I do love the gym leaders in this game too. I feel like uh that's something that Certain Shield did really well is like every gym leader in that game has such character. Yeah. Like yeah. I really was actually invested in getting to know like their deal. Um, uh, Whitney is so funny. Yeah. Whitney- <laughs> Whitney's great. Um, I like Chuck the fighter and his wife is outside and she gives you fly. She's like, you, you swam here? That sucks. <laughs> Once you beat my husband, I'll, I'll teach you how to fly. Yeah. Oh, great. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a great game. Uh, yeah, wow, Bill Bill Gates, mind blown. Man, what a great note to end on. Should we end the episode? <laughs> that sounds good. Uh, but yeah, thanks again for listening. We had a blast doing uh, this bonus episode. Uh, we've got a fun one in store uh, for the future. We already have one kind of uh, in mind, which is exciting, because we usually think of it the month of. I think we have two in um, mind. We have two in mind. Yeah. Oh, even better. August You'll and tell September. tell me what it is after a recording. Yeah. <laughs> huh? August and September we have planned, if you recall. That's right. That's right. So that'll be exciting. Um, but yeah, just thank you so much for listening. If you like the show, you know how to help. Uh, recommend it to a friend. Uh, you can rate us on Apple Podcasts. And if you really, really like the show, we've got our Patreon in the show notes. Uh, and um, yeah, that's basically it. Uh, I assume if you listen this far, you know all that. Uh, and, and just thank you. Thank you for joining us in this very fun and uh, oddly kind of... Like, this is the first time where we revisited a game and I wasn't truly prepared what to think, you know? Like, I knew I was going to enjoy it, but I thought it was going to be more nostalgic. Not as much as like, oh shit, this is the way to do a Pokemon game. Yeah, uh, yeah. This, this episode for me was about taking the nostalgia glasses off as like yeah. forcefully as possible. You know, it was very much yeah. like a please let me just revisit this with a, a blank slate. 
um, and, and see what I walk away thinking. And, and man, does this game hold up? Like it really is to me, like now the blueprint for what I want this franchise to be, which like I know yeah. turns me into like a shittier version of myself in a way. But like I, I do think that this game is so successful at what it set out to accomplish that like I can't help but now compare everything else to this again. Uh, well, I mean, I think it doesn't make you shittier. I think I, you I, I didn't I mean that literally, to... but I know what you mean. Yeah, 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 I know what you mean. It's like I think like uh we never want to be in a position to say like just keep doing the old thing again because that's actually what happened with a lot of the other pokemon games we talked about like that's kind of i think what they were doing for a long time but the 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 authenticity wasn't there as much um and again it all boils down to the intention and execution and i think this game is going for a very unique vibe uh in contrast to pretty much any other game in the series um and i think that that vibe can be different like certain shields is going for extremely different story and it mostly pulls it off. Like we said, like the gym, the gym story in that game is wonderful. And, and the gym leaders have all been given such rich characters. Incredible. Yeah. But being beholden to plot beats that don't need to be there, like IE end of the world. Number six, we don't need it. It's not special <laughs> if it keeps happening, even if it is a legendary or an end of the world event. Yeah. Uh, I agree. So yeah. But anyway, uh, thanks again for listening. Uh, we will see you very soon. Uh, and just have a great week and, uh, call me on Wednesdays at 3 PM and I'll let you know if there are slow pokes in the river. Uh, <laughs> so that's what I do as professor. There's a slow poke. Brilliant. Give him a university. <laughs> My name is Brenda Bigley. You can find me on the internet at Brenda Bigley. I'm Stephen Hilger. You can find me at Stephen Hilger and, uh, have a good week. Have a great week. And thank you, Bill Gates for allowing this episode to exist. Thanks, Bill Gates. Thank you, uh, Melissa John Hart for allowing this episode to exist. Thank you. But actually, do you know I had the same birthday as Melissa? I didn't know that. Yeah, April 18th. Same with Conan O'Brien. I have the same birthday as another person you mentioned, Lenny Kravitz. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. HM2. I want to get away. I want to fly away. (laughs) Sorry. That's how I imagine a Pidgeotto singing it to themselves. (laughs) Wait, how do I do it again? I want to get away. (laughs) This is hellish. Goodbye. Goodbye.